Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. I see texts coming in over the weekend saying, what's, what, what's with all the bank holidays? Surely be to God after everything we've got through, people would be more keen to get back to work. Work longer, more days. Ross to me in there for the weekend as well as during the week, which I'm mad keen to work. Extra bank holiday to get the go-ahead from November, apparently. November bank holiday is now on the odds. Uh, while all that's happening, of course, they're talking about who they'll give a bonus to and who they won't give a bonus to and who they won't give a golden handshake to. Well, the Gardaí are looking for the pandemic bonuses. Well, why shouldn't they? I mean, what, 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 what do you mean when you say frontline workers if you're not including Gardaí? So the Irish Times this morning, Gardaí seek frontline pandemic bonus payment as well. While all that's happening, of course, we have uh, 10,000 builders still on the pop, according to the mail. At one stage, I mean, it's an astonishing figure, but at one stage, there was uh, 84,000 construction workers in receipt of pop. So nearly, apart from 10,000 of them, uh, nearly 70-odd thousand of them are back working. But the question they're asking this morning is, why is there still 10,000 builders still on pop at a time when there's a desperate need to build homes amid a housing crisis uh, and construction workers uh, in short supply, but yet some are still on pop, well, 10,000 of them. And um, as you head out uh, of COVID and uh, into the wild blue yonder, of course, today sees the end of contact tracing. And at the end of at the weekend, we saw the end of the quarantine hotel. So there's even more presence to come uh, across October to look forward to. But having said that, of course, you will see uh, issues regarding work uh, quality of living issues as a result uh, of COVID. Like there's a very worrying story in the mirror today where they talk of uh, major towns in Ireland without um, a Garda station open for most of the day. And unfortunately, Carrigal Line, with a population of 20,000, is one of the fastest growing towns in Munster. And as Donnick O'Leary says in the uh, mirror this morning, it has a Garda station that's hardly ever open and doesn't have a computer-aided dispatch system. So Carrigal Line is amongst them, Newcastle West and Bettystown, Laytown in uh, in County Meath, and we, we feel for them. But we feel most, of course, about Carrigal Line. Uh, and and Carrigal Line's a satellite town now at this stage. It is a big, big area. Uh, and getting bigger all of the time, you would think that it would have its own... It has a physical guard station, but... Not one that's that's open much of the time. Papers also talk today uh, of trying to get people, um, you know, back to work in other ways, shapes or forms. And, and also the examiner talks of businesses that will close. They're saying that 20% of tourism firms are facing uh, closure. They're having fierce trouble, particularly trying to get uh, the right staff. And uh, the Echo this morning says that students are so poor and so hungry now, they're eating dry cereal and going to penny dinners for food. The front page says students low on food. Penny Dinner sees more college goers than ever before. And of course, Penny Dinners has moved a long way from a soup kitchen from many, 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 many years ago. I mean, it's just amazing the work that they do now and the food that they provide. You see, in the UK, where they're bringing in the army to tackle their fuel crisis, much of that is to do with the lack of HGV Arctic drivers and, and Brexit and COVID, um, but primarily a shortage of, of drivers. But the mail is saying this morning, don't panic, don't panic. Ireland is not at risk of petrol or home heating oil shortages. 
probably increases in price, all right, but nothing to do with uh, shortages. I think everybody has seen at this stage the very, very hard to watch uh, video footage of Joe McCarran. You might remember Joe, 67 year old, um, as the sun is putting it this morning, he was taken out of hospital by anti-vaxxers and then within like 36 hours he was back in hospital again with chronic breathing problems because of COVID and he subsequently died. Now that video was very much shared online. Gardia are now probing. They're probing it. There's a Garda launch, which is probably code, coded for saying a Garda investigation into why he was taken and by whom out of the hospital. Uh, a lot of other colliery stories making the papers today. So it's not all kind of negative doom and gloom news. Like, for instance, Duffy Circus are looking for clowns. I mean, what would you need on your CV now to run away with the circus and to become a clown? They were telling me here this morning that I'd make a very good clown. I think maybe with five pantos under my belt, I probably would be bumped up the list of possibles. Um, but, I mean, run away and join the circus? Anybody interested in becoming a clown? Um, I mean, it was a, like, I think it, it's amazing, actually, because, you know, two world wars and a civil war uh, didn't shut Duffy Circus. Unfortunately, COVID did for a spell, but they're back again looking for clowns. And we should be very proud as Irish people if you ever go away on holidays for a week or two, it's all very well, all of that sun, uh, you know, and all of the lovely things and the nice drinks and beautiful hotels and gorgeous beaches. But sooner or later, you'll get fed up with their food and you will start at some stage in life craving food from home. And if it's an Irish stew, or if you're listening to me overseas, to those of you overseas, what food do you really and truly miss and crave from home that can't be replicated? But apparently, the Irish stew... um, um, We should be very proud of it because it's right up there with the best of foods around the world. The world's top culinary experiences are listed by Lonely Planet and they talk of the top 500 food experiences in the world. Happy to say we make the top 50 with the Irish stew. I suppose the jury's out as to whether your stew is with beef or lamb. They say for it to be the purest of the pure, it should be a broth-based lamb stew. But I don't mind. I don't mind. I just love stew. So there it is making the list today. And of course, if you didn't know it, uh, the latest Bond movie goes on general release on Thursday. We have double passes to give away all day, every day this week. And I'm included in that. So more on that a little later on as to how you can win for yourself. Uh, Snaffle a couple of tickets for the latest Bond movie, No Time to Die. But it would be Daniel Craig's last Bond movie. Um, I think he may have said that before, but apparently it is definitely now the last one. Um, 007, apparently, according to the producers, will always uh, be male. So that ain't going to change anytime soon. And they also say today that Pierce Brosnan killed more people as Bond than anybody else. According to The Sun today, he has more kills uh, than uh, Daniel Craig. He has more kills than Roger Moore. He has more kills than Sean Connery. I, I could bore you with the numbers, but it's actually, it, it's actually quite alarming. Uh, how many people all of the James Bonds killed down through the years but Pierce Brosnan killed an average of 34 bad guys a movie while 007 uh, Daniel Craig bumped off 20 per film so a lot of stuff to do with uh, 007 because there are people who are saying thank God it didn't go streaming thank God they held out because it just needs to be seen on the big screen you know the curse of the Mayo football team I mean you could take that as a bit of a joke really and a bit of a laugh but seriously though the last surviving member of the Mayo football All-Ireland winning team has passed away at the age of 95 and that of course was uh, Paddy Prendergast he was the last one to go and there's some lovely tributes to me, including on the front of the mirror today, 
of his passing. And the Echo has some lovely tributes and a lovely photograph of, um, you know, many people at Billa's funeral and the removal and indeed at the, at the funeral itself. A nice article talking about Billa who passed away on Thursday morning and the funeral mass was at the Church of the Immaculate Conception. And it was lovely actually because they brought some little gifts and mementos up to, uh, to the altar to remember Billa by. And the gifts included a theatre mask reflecting his lifetime in drama and the arts, St. Finbar's jersey reflecting his passion for the GAA and most important to him, his family. And there was a beautiful family photograph that symbolized his love for his ever growing family. As we bet, as we bade farewell at the weekend to one of a kind, the one and only Bill O'Connell. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. For the best value in store, follow the red bubbles. Tesco. Every little helps. Natalie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I read the court reports from during the week regarding your dad's death. I read them a few times. Uh, The judge during the court case described it as an explosion of misery for the family. Oh, it was absolutely like heartbreaking, you know. Oh my God, it was an awful thing to happen. Yeah, a, totally in, a totally innocent man who was out for a couple of pints. What, what happened? Uh, well, on the 20th of July, my dad went down to the Grove Bar and there was an incident happened and my dad was outside having a cigarette. There was a few words exchanged between my dad and the man. And then the man left. He came back with a knife and stuck the knife straight into him. So Patrick O'Sullivan went home. Went home, got, yeah. Got a taxi to go got home. Got a taxi, yeah, got a taxi. Armed himself uh, with a knife, went back to the pub with the knife. With the knife, yeah, and just stuck it straight in. Stabbed your dad. No no reason for it in the white earthly world? No, yeah. no reason whatsoever. Like, he didn't deserve that. Like, he was a lovely family man. He loved his family. He he loved like his favorite hobby was fishing. So when did when did the family hear then that he'd been stabbed? And I imagine at that stage taken by ambulance to hospital, was it? Yeah, he was taken from the scene straight out to the COH. Right. Okay. And it, then uh, as his eldest daughter, I am Natalie. Uh, I got the phone call. I was in town, and I literally need. I was in completely shock. Yeah. That I I actually collapsed in town which thank God that I was with a friend because I got such a know to get a phone call like that. Yeah. It was like my whole world got turned upside down. Of course, surgeons were, were working on him then to save his life. Uh, yeah, and I know and that during the surgery, he would have lost a they, kidney. They removed part of his colon. Go on, yeah. They removed his whole bowel. He had to have stoma bags on each side of his stomach. That destroyed him, you know, because he was a very proud and proud man, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and he was didn't it deserved that? Was was it during the surgery to save his life, you know, following the stabbing, that they discovered that there was cancer present? Is that right? Yeah, there was cancer present. Yeah. <sighs> oh my God! Like we we didn't know because he was just after getting over prostate cancer. Was he? Yeah. He got the all clear. And then due to the stabbing, when he was in the surgery, and they realised then that he had, there was um, a lump on his, where nowhere the knife wound went, they found that there was a lump. It was terminal cancer he had. 
he had spent he had spent six weeks in hospital throughout all of, the, all of this. And he was six weeks in hospital. Now he was in a coma for six weeks in the hospital. He was right. And how was he when he got home? What was life like then? It really wasn't my dad. Like it was like a completely different man. Do you know what I mean? Like he was he just deteriorated. You know, he couldn't move. Like he could only go from the sitting room to the front door. The hey Jesse. They gave us um, a bed, you know, them hospital bed. Yeah, of course. That's how bad the man was. Like, he couldn't even go up to his room. He had to live in the sitting room. That's how bad. That's that's how fair. How did your mum deal with all of this? To be honest, Neil, I she just completely, just deteriorated completely. And did he go, did he continue to go downhill then the coming months oh, after all yeah. that? Oh, completely. Completely just went downhill. You know, there was no, like, there was no life in him, you know. Did he talk about what happened and ask why it happened to him? Were there any he conversations? Did, he did ask, like, he said, like, why, why did this happen to me, you know? We tried to explain, Dad, look, this is not, this is not your fault. You didn't deserve any of this. So he continued to deteriorate. Were they treating oh, him for the, bad. were they treating him for the cancer then at the time? They were, they, he was doing the, um, radiation. Yeah. Yeah. But then when he went into hospital, he went in the end of November. Yeah. And they said it to him about over the kidney being taken out, uh, your crone, that was down. So he couldn't start the chemo because he was too unwell and he was too weak. I know. That was the back end of November and into December, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And then on the 8th of December then is when we is when he really, really went down when they told him he only had four months to live. Oh, for God's sake. Which that ripped the whole lot of our hearts out, you know. And didn't I read somewhere that your that your aunt, which would have been your dad's sister, Martina, was talking about um, about a marriage? Oh, yeah, they got married, yeah. Yourself and your, himself and, his, and, and your ma'am, yeah. Yeah. My mum, yeah, they, they were like, they'd be together now 40 years. And did the marriage, did the wedding go ahead? It did, it did indeed, Neil. And what was that like? That must have been heartbreaking. Oh, it was fantastic. Like, as much as my dad was deteriorating, that day, like, not could bring him down. Was he up for it and everything? And was he able to move he around? Was, he was up for it, but like, he wasn't like, you know, like, I don't know what way to explain it. Like, he was up for it, but... He wasn't, if you get what I mean. Did he know at that stage that it was getting close to the end, the misfortune? Oh, he knew, he knew, he knew that there wasn't much left. So he was probably building up and saving all of his strength for the wedding. For the wedding, oh you know, God, God love him. What yeah. a hero, what a hero. Oh my God. Oh, what a hero in the world, me, like, I'm telling you now, like, it was a, a miracle. And after he was, he was fantastic, like, you know, like, he's an absolute hero. Were you there? Were you all there at the end? Oh, we were, yeah. We were all like, of course we were. <laughs> See, I'm his eldest girl. I know. I know. What is it? Five kids, isn't it? Wife, grandkids, yeah, the whole lot. Yeah, he has five. Big five. Family. He has three daughters, but um, my sister passed away there years ago. Oh, man. She was only six months. I mean, you were completely and utterly torn apart. Um, oh, nearly. Our whole lives were turned upside down. And did he pass away? Did he pass away then on the thirty first of December? Was it? Yeah. Oh my God Almighty! It was just—it was just horrific. Like 
that Palo Sullivan is after destroying the whole like, like and because he knew we were all grown up all these kids were all grown up but his grandkids then were his life so this is a 75 year old man who stabbed your dad 75 year old man and, yeah and um, and ended and, and of course we had the court case last week where I believe some okay. of the some of your family felt that there mightn't even be a custodial that he mightn't even get jail is that right? that's what we were all expecting because they guards uh, said that, look, of the age of him, that we could be looking at a suspended sentence because of, of and because he had heart conditions, yeah. which that don't, that don't justify, you know, that don't justify anything. Now, he did give a guilty plea, so there was no need for a trial. Yeah, but yeah. That, was, that was only two weeks ago, Neil. I know, but I know, I'm just saying... That that could have, you know, they talk about mitigating factors, pleading guilty, yeah. his age, the fact that he had uh, uh, medical problems. So when you heard that he got, were you there in court? Oh, I was. Yeah, yes, no, I was. How did you? How does the family feel about that? Oh, my family. I tell you now, Neil. As I said, I said to your colleague a while ago. Since my dad passed away eight months ago, I ne- since my I have never seen my mum smile. And be so happy all day yesterday. It absolutely brightened up all her children, yeah. all her family members, like just to see her, just to have it that my known, known that she got justice for justice, her husband, that yeah, we can justice. know that we can finally grieve for him and that my dad can finally rest and rest in peace, you know? At least justice was done and there was a jail sentence, even though... You weren't necessarily expecting that O'Sullivan would get 10 years, but he did? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Natalie. Thank you so much for taking the call. Thanks very much for this, Neil. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Yes, indeed. Uh, Thank you, Martha, for your email. You must be absolutely livid. She says, I'm finally back to work after all the lockdowns. I work in the hospitality sector, so I've been off work for a long time because of COVID. I went off uh, the pop in July when things opened up again, but I've only just secured a new job this month, finally. I just wanted to point out that the rate of pop payback is a disgrace. Even though I'm doing five days a week, I'm now earning less than I was getting on the pop, which was 250 per week. Of course, I know it needs to be paid back, but at this rate, I won't be able to keep a roof over our heads. I'm a working mum with two children. I had no other choice than to go on the pop payment uh, when things went wrong. It's very distressing. And she sent me a picture of her payslip as well, which says uh, gross paid 357 euro, total deductions 146 euro, net pay 211 euro and nine cent which is €39 euro less than she would have got on the pup doing nothing at all. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Lots then on this extra bank holiday uh, that's being proposed. Am I raving or are we, were we not supposed to get an extra day's bank holiday anyway to be in line with Europe? It's not really a reward at all. I don't know how employers would feel about that because his employers have to... Have to have to pick up and divvy up for it. Uh, no, no, no use to anybody on the front line, Neil. Another than William says it's another money making racket. Uh, Kevin said, wouldn't it make an awful lot more sense if it was a tax free bonus for taxpayers? It's the freeloaders who seem to get all they want and more. Craig says the people that supposedly be brought into reward are the people who will end up working these bank holidays, um, and many are suggesting then that people can't even get to take the holidays they're entitled to because of staff shortages. Never mind to be talking about another bank holiday, but. 
Rose says something that I was joking about a while ago. She says, personally, I've had enough days off because of this pandemic in inverted commas. Most people couldn't wait to get back to work rather than giving them more bank holidays off. And there's a big re- reaction then to uh, who will and who won't get this uh, ban- pandemic bonus reward uh, as to who should and shouldn't get it. So I'll come back to all of those. But it's quite worrying, actually, with regards, you know, the Cataract Express does an awful lot more than take people to the north for cataract operations. The bus also, down through the years, has brought people for hip and knee procedures as well. And you know, there isn't a month goes by, and in some cases a week wouldn't go by, when we're not referring people uh, to, say for instance, the likes of um, Michael Collins, the independent TD down in West Cork, to get them up to the north to get work done because of the waiting lists here in the south. But it looks as if, according to the news over the weekend, that that service uh, has a very uncertain future as to whether it's actually going to continue or not. It's very much... I don't know why. I mean, I don't know whether it's Brexit-related or whether there's an issue with funding here south of the border. But Michael Collins is the man who set it up way, way back. It was a fantastic initiative. And he joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, should Should we be worried and concerned about its future, Michael? I, I would be concerned, you know, and I suppose I had the same concerns, I will admit, uh, this time last year, because we were facing Brexit in the face, and, and obviously it was called the EU Cross-Border Directive, and with Northern Ireland uh, looking like it was going, uh, with England going out of the EU, we, we faced this crisis uh, this time last year, and it wasn't resolved until the last minute, uh, I'd literally say maybe the first days of the new year before a solution came in place called the Northern Ireland Plant Healthcare, which is And, de- and, and that Northern Ireland Ireland planned healthcare scheme is only kind of a temporary thing, is it? That's the problem. Um, my, my assumption at that time is that this would be long term, but it was only for a 12 month period. So now we're facing the same situation again that we're asking questions in the doll and we're asking questions of the political system. Are they going to continue this Northern Ireland planned healthcare? The only positive news on that is that. Um, the, the, the scheme was only south to north but it has resumed north to south as well um, in the last few months so maybe the fact that it's happening both ways that it might it might uh, encourage our government to, to continue the scheme uh, Neil but it, it definitely needs it because we have almost a, a million people on waiting list in the south and um, uh, it's, it's, it's the, the only way out for a lot of people that are either gone blind or in serious pain and there's, there's, there's no there's no way of trying to get the work done south of the border in, in hospitals is that is there are in clinics no i i would think that you know at the moment we're we're listening every day of the week uh, especially since it's all reconvened especially about housing housing i think the big problem we're going to have next year in this country is, is waiting list um so i don't see it's, it's not just cataract it's a whole pattern of, of, of operations that are needed for people it's knees capital um and i don't think it's going to be resolved I, it's absolutely not going to be resolved in the south so um i can guarantee you that so yeah. we will be taking people and it's their only way out and it's people you know this year since i was talking to people yesterday asking me how do they go about to get loans for you know uh, an operation in the, the credit north, union isn't it Credit Union have been brilliant. Um, some people don't have accounts with them, so I'm advising them all to, to at least open up an account to the Credit Union, and then you have uh, an opportunity getting a bridging loan there. The best uh, so far to have come forward, you will say to provide a bridging loan. But you know they're, they're talking Neil about figures dropping that went to the north last year. It was very easy to know that because we just continued the service for a number of months yeah. due to the seriousness of the pandemic. Just pulled the scheme completely. Um, as far as we were concerned, we couldn't take anybody north, and everybody that I spoke to wouldn't go north. 
um, because of the dangers that are there. So that's why there's a major drop in uh, or sorry, a drop in, in numbers and the amount. I, I, think I know they use it. Is, uh, but like, uh, is it is it funding? Is that the problem? Because okay, so you, you 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 if you don't have the money, you can go to the credit union. They give you a loan, then you get the work done in the north, and then you get reimbursed the money from is it the the, the Department of Health? The HSE, HSE, and then you pay back the credit union. Is this is this a funding issue? Well, it is, but I mean, I suppose the issues haven't been tackled here in the South. You know, I I call for um, the cataract procedure, especially because that's the most popular one with us, and it's the most simplified one to have a theatre in Bantry, in Mellow, and 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 in Cork, and and nobody's answered the call as such. Though there's there's talks that there would be extra cataract surgeons in Cork, which would be fine if it happens, but it hasn't happened. And it, that procedure it only takes 20, 25 minutes in the north and people are an hour in recovery and into the bus and home. Uh, it's a very simplified procedure and it can, it's taking place in other parts of the world and they're telling me in what they call a clean room, fully equipped. And that hasn't happened here and it is, it is absolutely astonishing to think that you have hospitals like Mallow and Bantry, top, top of the range hospitals that could provide that service here and could provide 15, 20 cataracts to be done every, maybe even 30 a month. Um, uh, cataracts or a surgeon come down to, to Bantry to do it and go to Mallow and, and Cork City and that would alleviate the pressure. The pressure isn't as bad up the country as it is in, in, on the Cork side even though I've taken people and I will be taking people from Tipperary and Limerick in the next few weeks uh, along the way but it's, it's mainly in, in Cork and Kerry uh, the problem is and that's what we've been looking after um, we have bus 73 is the next is the next bus going up in two weeks time and, and one again and are they all cataracts the 73 going for Cork or there will be some with, with hips and uh, because it's not just cataracts of course it's it's hips and knees isn't it it is hips, knees carpal tunnel we have the hips and knees are going up on their own we, 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 we arrange it from here but they go up on their own they go by train or go by car because we can't take that many people in the bus because it has to be spaced out due to the uh, due to the, uh, the virus that was, that was ongoing and bus uh, seats were, were at, at were difficulty. Yeah, so I know. But, no, but Northern the Ireland hospitals, the, the clinics in the north, is it just the one or is there a few of them? Oh, there's a good few of them. Um, and Kingsbridge Private Hospital is the right. hospital we're using, but there's, a, uh, there's, there's different hospitals um, in, in Belfast that we use in other ways. And also we're doing negotiations at the moment or at a, at a, at a, at a, we'll say at a level where we're going to take young people that need orthodontic treatment to, to Northern Ireland as well because they're waiting, most of the young people here, and I've been talking to dental surgeons in the north who are willing to do the cross-border and willing to take, uh, we'll say, more than one person on, on any one day. There's a huge amount of children that can't get that service. So it's there. a complete uh, shambles then, isn't it? If you have, if you have, if you have like cataracts and hips and knees and children's teeth, all have to be done outside of the state. It, it looks like that's the only way forward. I have children waiting since 2017 for orthodontic treatment, and you can imagine the stress that's causing both them and their families. We've found a solution in, in the north um, after some uh, digging out, and, and, and that's the only solution that I can offer people. But, but I can just certainly offer people when they come to my constituency after that we can try our best to make sure they'll, they'll be moved up the list in, in, in the Republic, but it's not happening. But if the clinics and the hospitals in the north are willing to continue with the, with the system as it is, What's the problem? I, I, it's, the problem is the, the, the South. Uh, we must, like, obviously, the Minister for Health and the Minister for Finance must provide the finances to allow people uh, to go on art. I, I did um, have questions in with uh, Minister Michael McGrath. I'd say maybe it was maybe May or June 
where I used the questions mainly on the north and the procedures in the north, he indicated that they would look positively towards it, but the funding hasn't been made available. And until the funding is made available, I have to keep the pressure on them to make sure that this happens and continues and at least get people the opportunity. I have people telling me they can't live with the pain they're in. Oh, I have people telling imagine. me that they ring, they, they, they ring to find out when they, they, before they ring me to find out when can they have a cataract surgery and they're told, oh no, there's no problem, you'll have it be 2024, 2025. No, and I talk to them after the surgery. It's incredible the conversations I have with people after the cataracts are yeah. done. They, they're just, Absolutely. it's like a complete new lease of life. Didn't, did, did all of this start actually with Jerry Harrington, his late father, John Patrick, was 90 and had to be driven to Belfast. Is that, you know, or face blindness? Was that one of the stories from way back in the day? Absolutely, Jerry um, contacted me and um, I had just stumbled, would you believe where I stumbled across this uh, was at the Plowing Championships um, when I was up there myself and this gentleman said to me, do you know about the cross-border uh, uh, initiative, you uh, cross-border initiative? I said, no, I explained to me and he did and I said to him, what are you doing next week? The same guy and he, he was some things about hospital and he said, boy, I, said, I need to speak to you on the doll. And from there the whole thing struck and, and, and John Patrick uh, Harrington, God rest his soul, has died since. Um, uh, needed cataract surgery, contacted Jerry, said, this is the scheme. We had no bus available at the time yeah. uh, to, to run the scheme. But I said, look, we got. do you want your father to be the first? And he said, yeah. And he drove up his father, got it started and brought him home. And the whole thing exploded from there. And how many and, do you and, think has been done if you added them all together? With, you know, when I say added them all together, the cataracts, the hips and the knees. Do you know? If you oh, think- I'd say we could, we could be running in between... I'd say three and four thousand since, but uh, three and a half thousand. I'd say, but like cataracts, I'd say we'd be talking about two and a half thousand people. And that, that you just you alone, just down here between the, the Hawk and the Kerry side. Wow. Um, okay, so uh, if I, I'm Michael McGrath the air a little later on, I need to be asking him about the funding. Then is it Michael? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's the man with the the purse strings. He's the man that knows how far negotiations have gone in relation to the crossbar. And to get him to give an assurance that it will continue. And I think we need to have an assurance that it'll continue indefinitely, not this year to year. And when September comes, we get worried and October, November. And then all of a sudden, I have people panicking. They're panicking, ringing me at the moment saying, I heard this is going to end. I'm, I'm terrified. I, I need to get my outside. Some of them made a held off hoping that something might solve itself in this side, uh, that the whole thing might resolve itself or that it might rerun even next year. I can't guarantee that to anybody right now. It's the biggest panic I have is to get them into the north of Ireland and to get them into Kingsbridge Private Hospital for, for surgery. Okay, let's see what he has to say on the matter. Thanks for taking the call, Michael. We'll stay in touch, all right? Appreciate it. Okay. As always, Michael Collins, Independent TD. So we'll have some questions uh, among, and that'll be amongst them for Michael McGrath a little later on. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Of course, one of the big concerns we have is like front pages the examiner this morning as, as if you didn't know house prices up 9% in the last 12 months what does that mean uh, on lease side it means that the average price for a home they're saying now in Cork is 307,000 euro 307 uh, and of course we heard also the weekend the amount of TDs and indeed politicians who are themselves landlords now it's interesting to see that there was a fair old proportion of them that had properties that sold them I suppose they, if they sold them recently, they decided it was a good time to sell when prices were high. Uh, but um, the papers at the weekend had a very interesting report on the amount of them. Uh, I think you're, you're looking at the Healy Rays, actually, huge property owners. I think Michael Healy Ray topped the league. I think Michael Lowry was up there as well. And uh, we weren't shy in that department ourselves here in Leaside, but quite an amount of them. Uh, landlords, multiple landlords, a lot of them. Uh, and they were talking about, um, you know, different properties they owned and, uh, you know, different... Uh, 
sources of income that they had outside of the doll. Anyway, lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Kieran, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking the call, for sending on all of the paperwork, and indeed, most alarmingly, the photographs of um, your little baby. This is um, this is a product that you bought on Amazon, wasn't it, Kieran? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It's like a little it's baby a nest for a newborn baby, is it? Well, it's newborn up to nine months. That's, okay. that's what it's sold as. And it's called the Cuddle Cocoon, is it? Cuddle Cocoon Baby Nest, yeah. You bought it for your daughter, Gracie. That's right. Yeah, yeah. okay. Can you, can you explain what it does? Does it go into a cot? Do you put it on a bed? What do you, what do, you do with it? Um, it's it's primarily to go into a cot, and it's put out of bed also. Um, but we've been using it in a cot. It's advertised as, as a product that, that goes into a cot, and, and what it does is it, it, ju- it just protects the baby from you know rolling over, or you know pulling blankets and stuff over her face, and it, it just keeps them in. And it's supposed to keep them in the one position within the cot. Because it has big, fluffy, puffed-up sides to it, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Basically, you know, you can sell it to different to different widths and different sizes as the baby grows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just to stop them, you know, rolling over on the face. Or do you know what it looks know, like? Do you know what it looks like to me to describe it to people? Did you ever see the little inflatable rafts that you can get for kids on the water? Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. It, it kind of looks like that, but but clearly it isn't. It's a, it's a, it's a sleeping yeah, product. Yeah. But tell us your experience with it. Um, so basically, um, three or four days ago, um, it was it was the morning time. It was about uh, seven o'clock, seven thirty, and we were obviously in bed. Gracie was in bed. Gracie was, was in the nest um, in the cot, and it's only like two two feet from us, the cot from our bed. Um, and I I just heard I just heard Lisa's voice in, in my head saying, "Kieran, Kieran, get up quick." And I woke up, obviously a bit fast, and I just seen Grace in Lisa's arms, and she said, "Look at her neck," and her neck was just raw and raw and red, and somehow she was after being able to unravel the cord. The cord is at the end of the neck, and it and it's tied in a in, in a in a bow, and it's not supposed to be able to be unravelled. When I see the photograph of it on Amazon, I have it in front of me here now, and it's the, the cocoon, the little nest with the puffed up sides. And at one end of it, I see two big pieces of cord tied in a bow. Now, now straight yeah. away, straight away, when I saw that myself, I said, why is that there? Now, see, see, the purpose of the cord is, is to allow you to, um, to widen the cocoon as the baby grows. I know, but why is it in that position, though? It seems very accessible to me. I'm not sure, and, and, and you know, the more we look at it afterwards, and, you know, hindsight is a great thing, but the more we look at it afterwards, the more we're starting to realise it's, it, it's really a silly place to have a cord, and it's really not something that should be on the end of a, a newborn baby or, or, or a baby of nine months okay. old. Okay, so, so you looked in, and was was the cord anywhere near Gracie, or, or around Gracie's neck or anything like that? No, well, the cord is, is at the bottom um, of, of the nest where our feet are, but, but somehow she was at the, you know, turning around and crawling up to the other end of, of the nest and somehow unraveling the cord and wrapping it around the neck. But but even at that, you know, the, the cord shouldn't be long enough 
there's, there's no need for that car to be long enough to be able to wrap around the baby's neck two times. Yeah, but you did, know. You, did you find it wrapped around her neck? Yeah, we found it. Well, I did, and Lisa did, my wife. She, oh. she found it wrapped around her neck um, twice. So Lisa saw the twice. cord wrapped around Gracie's neck twice. Yeah, okay. really, really tight. You know, and, 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 and straight away, you know, all she heard, she, she was asleep, obviously, and all she heard was a, was a, like a, a whimpering noise and something something told her just, just to get up and check. Um, and when she got up and checked, the, the cord was wrapped around the neck twice. And you know, what did you do next? Well, she obviously unraveled the card and you know checked her out, and you know, like like just to make sure the the, the circulation of the blood around wasn't wasn't gone, and she was breathing correctly, and she was okay. Like I mean, she wasn't crying or anything, so so she did look look okay. It was just it was just a you know five or ten minutes later, Neil. It could have been a lot worse, you know. Lisa didn't hear anything. Or, oh my God! Or, if you or, slept or through the, wasn't, wasn't able to, to communicate, it wasn't able to cry, or you know, God, God only knows what could have happened. If, she, if, the, if Gracie was in a different room, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't wake, like yeah, there, there's a there's a red mark right around her neck. Here yeah, right. you can see by the mark how how tight she was at the pulling the cord around her neck so like I mean as I said a couple of minutes later she probably wouldn't have been able to make a sound it was that tight you know and what God did forbid we, okay. we didn't hear or we probably couldn't have heard her God forbid and something could have happened you know now I know that you got in touch with Amazon uh, and said clearly that you were fuming with rage and anger about this and that it was totally unacceptable I think you also went on to say um, you know, please don't think that I'm lo- a parent looking for a payout or something for free. I can assure you I'm not. Um, so you did get in touch with them? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's not about that. It's not about me looking to get something out of it or us looking to get something out of it. We just want to create awareness. You know, we don't, we don't want this to happen to another baby or God forbid go even further and, and be the fatality of another baby, you know. It's just about creating awareness, and and to be fair, Amazon has been fine. Amazon have called us. They've looked in. They're looking into it. They're investigating it. They're, they're very apologetic about it. And the company itself, I won't name them, but the company them, themselves, um, we've also contacted them, and and they've replied to me in an email. And, and what do they? What do they say? I mean, I have well, reams and reams of paperwork here in front of me, but perhaps you could give me the gist of their response. That. Well, they're basically saying we're lying and, and there's no way that their product could have caused them marks. They said they fully investigated it. The photos that I sent them, they've sent them photos onto specialists. And they've done all this in a couple of hours, by the way. And they've sent the photos onto specialists. Your photos are urgently forwarded to our technical department, which uh, initially consulted the situation with specialists on the basis yeah. of the photos alone. Uh, they said that the... What did, what did they say? There's like... There's, so they're, they're basically saying there's, there's no way that that product could have caused um, them marks. And, and, and in one of their replies as well, they're saying that the baby shouldn't be left unattended. Like, like I mean, it's a sleep nest. The baby's asleep in bed. We're asleep in bed. Like, I'm not sure how, you, how you're not supposed to leave a baby unattended. They said even if the string is untied, the string is too short. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, the string. And then a child doesn't have enough strength to untie the 
cocoon on its own kind of stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, and they're also assuming in, in their reply, they said, they, even though I told them who all the baby was in my first email, they've replied and said, we've had specialists look at your baby and they're assuming your baby is five to six months old. I don't know how they can make that assumption, but they're saying a baby at five to six months old and the motoring skills, they would not be able to open that cord. But clearly, they did. You know, clearly, Lacey did open the cord. Or, or they unravel somehow. It was found that such a small child would not be able to uh, root the string so regularly around ch- his own neck, um, in her case, her neck. Um, exactly. But, but, yeah. but what, you, what you're saying is, I know what you're saying, but it happened. Exactly. You know, and I mean, we're not. We haven't made, we haven't fabricated this up and, you know, taken photos and wrapped the card around our own baby's head. Just, I know, you know, but they've asked for you know, it. They, they've asked for it back to 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 uh, examine it, haven't they? They've asked for us to send it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the gist of it is that a child of Gracie's age wouldn't have enough strength or motor skills to untie the cocoon cord on its own. That's that's basically what okay. they're saying. Yeah. And did you look at the reviews of the product? You know, either before or after you bought it. Oh, my wife is a, is a great one for reviews. Yeah, she she looked at. Like, I mean, it's 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 a very well known product. It's it's like I mean, there was a lot of reviews on it, and and a lot of them were fine, you know. And um, but like, you know, obviously this happened, and I'm just trying to we're just trying to create awareness for it not to happen again. Are you going to send them the product back so that they can examine it? They've that seems to be the I, next. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to receive some legal advice on that, and whether to send it back or whether to keep it, and whether to have it tested ourselves before we send it back. Like I, I know nothing about these things uh, apart from what I see in the photographs, and you know, I'm listening to your story. You say that it happened, and you know, I, how am I to doubt you? But, but looking at it, it, it looks like a, a fantastic product. But I'm just concerned that up at one end of it, like um, you have these bows, like looks like quite an amount of cord to me. Tied in a tied yeah. in a big loop, and I'm wondering what would happen if a child grabbed it by the hand. You know, yeah. we hear we hear so much about the cords on blinds these days. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and babies yeah, no, babies well, move well, at well, night, don't they? They're constantly moving. Absolutely, yeah. Like especially up up to nine months old. You know, they're they're turning, they're 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 crawling, they're getting up the other end of the car. You know, they can move. You know, and 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 when the cord is tied, you know, it's it's. It's not that long, but when the cord is unraveled, which she obviously done somehow, it becomes pretty long because you can pull at the cord because the more you pull at the cord, the more it comes loose or releases from the inside of the cocoon. You know? Would there be a better um, design that involves no cord at all? Well, I mean, there's got to be, doesn't there? Like People have got to look at this and say, there's got to be a different way. Like, I mean, as I said earlier, hindsight is a great thing, but looking at it afterwards, and we are probably ignorant to the fact um, that there was a card there and we probably shouldn't have been using it. But looking at it afterwards, there's got to be another way. Like it, it's got but to you find didn't put, way. you didn't put the card there. You didn't design it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know? What I mean, like looking at Facebook, for instance, we we put the ad on Facebook and it's been shared about 1,300 times. And you're just looking at the comments and there's a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I wouldn't put my bag anywhere near cars. Like that's, that's the majority of the comments. Sure, isn't that what I'm saying to you as well? I just thought, wow, you could maybe come up with a design that didn't have anything to do with string, rope, cord, anything like that, twine, nothing. 
I mean, you must have got an awful shock, like, because for a long, long time you'd be thinking, what if, you know? Well, it's all I keep thinking, and, and I, I, like, I mean, it's worse than my wife. My wife found, my wife seen her in that state, she found her in that state. Like, I, I, was, a, I was a couple of seconds afterwards, I didn't actually see the cord around her neck. My wife did, my wife's deeply troubled by it, and deeply traumatised by it. She just can't get the image out of her head. You know, while she keeps thinking it's five minutes later. Um, but what did they say what, to the, um, what, I know, absolutely. 60 seconds later, maybe. What did they say with yeah. regards to the marks on Gracie's neck? Um, they didn't really comment on the marks. The only comment they made on the marks on the neck was they don't, their specialist said that they don't believe that, that, that the cord, um, could have made their marks. I don't know how they make that assumption or how they come, come up with that idea by looking at a picture, but, they're basically saying that their card could not have made that mark. Must be very frustrating for you because your wife found Gracie with the cord around her neck. You're saying the filming with anger, Neil. Like you know, it was it was just about creating awareness, and it was just about someone being held accountable and someone standing up and apologising, maybe. But that reply we got from the company was absolutely disgusting. What are you going to do next with regards to um, the cocoon, the newborn? Well, like I mean, this was the first step for us, you know, speaking to you guys um, and creating awareness. And, and hopefully I'm able to just keep creating awareness and, 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 and keep spreading the word. Um, I am going to seek legal advice on what to do next regarding sending the product back, um, you know, and, 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 see, and see, see what we should do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to just send the product back without seeking legal advice on, on, on what the next step should be. Well, at least Gracie is safe and well. Well, that's the main thing, that's you know. And, yeah, yeah. and as I said earlier, I'm not seeking advice to, to you know, I just want someone held accountable. And I suppose I you want, want to be believed, don't you? I'd, I'd, love, I'd love the product to be taken off, off the market. You know, like, it's, it's, not, it's clearly not safe. And, and they probably say, well, it's never happened before, but it's happened now. It's yeah, happened for one day. Yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it only takes one. You know, because in, in theory it's a super idea, but maybe with a couple of technical changes and you know taking co- cords and babies, they don't go hand in hand. Maybe it could exactly. be a safer. And, and I mean, when, when Gracie was first born, she was newborn, and it was great product. Like it, it stopped the mill and it stopped the rolling over. And maybe they should change their their wording and their advertising. Maybe they shouldn't be marketing it as up to nine months because as babies grow, they become more. You know, they get more movement and the motor scales become better. So maybe the product should be up to three months, up to four months and, and not up to nine months. I know. And maybe we, we should have realised as well, but we've got a product from a reputable company yeah. um, that advertises up to nine months and we, we deem that safe. We deem that's been tested, you know, and fit for purpose. But your experience proved very different. Okay, okay. Absolutely. Um, okay, let, thank you for sharing it. Let others be aware of it. Do stay in touch, Kieran, if there are any updates, yeah? Yeah, we will do. Thanks a million. Cheers for taking the call. Here. Take care. Take care. Kieran O'Donovan. Little Gracie. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text 0868104106. I'm sure that will prompt other calls and thoughts from people who've had uh, other issues with their own children. Because God knows they can be very, very inquisitive. Uh, and I'd say if you had a camera on a baby all night long, particularly a little newborn baby or a baby of any, maybe even any of us, 
the amount of movement we get up to when we're asleep or indeed awake and inquisitive. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. 086-8104-106 by text. Sarah says, I really feel we have lost all hope in this country. People are at such a low ebb after the pandemic, which isn't even over. Now the government are hell-bent on dividing the people once again. This time about frontline worker bonuses. Uh, Michal Martin comes out the weekend and says shop workers and healthcare workers will be given a bonus or time off uh, because of their work during the pandemic. What about cleaners, warehouse operatives, pharmaceutical workers, creche workers, courier drivers, all the private sector who went to work all through the pandemic? What about all the people who lost their jobs during the pandemic and are still destitute? I understand the logic of giving something to frontline healthcare workers. They should have done it last year. I'm a full-time private sector worker. I worked through the pandemic. It was horrific. I was dealing with the public, getting abused daily on the phones. I got a wage cut, thank you. And yet I was working longer hours and dealing with more and more stress. Now I'm being told that all the hard work was in vain because I'm private sector worker. And instead, my hard-earned taxes, 52% of my wages, will go to give the public sector workers a bonus. If there was ever a time I wanted to leave this country, it is now. So that's one email. I have reams and reams of different texts then from people who also have opinions on it. And I read, will read them out, but the vast majority, of course, is division right to, through the middle. So we're looking at bonuses, we're looking at days off, but as to who would potentially get it and who'd be left out, that is one of the big questions. That and a lot more besides to Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance and Expenditure, Cork South Central at TD. He joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. Thanks for taking the call. A bit of a headache on your hands now as to, you know, a bit of a Sophie's choice. Who'll get it and who won't and what will they get? Thanks, Neil. Yeah, look, I think your your texture there hit the nail on the head, really. I mean, we in this country, I think, you know, showed great solidarity towards each other right through COVID for the last 18 months. And that really has stood to us exceptionally well. And now as we hopefully, you know, begin to exit uh, from COVID, we certainly don't want to divide society uh, in any way whatsoever. Um, having said that, I think that it is appropriate that there would be some recognition uh, of uh, people who went to above and beyond. Uh, it is also the case that the government has been faced with um, uh, claims lodged with the Workplace Relations Commission and then the Labour Court uh, by the INMO, who represent nurses, and also by other unions representing uh, other healthcare workers uh, for 10 days additional leave uh, as a recognition payment. So those claims were lodged, which means that the government has to respond and has to engage and has to come forward with uh, some proposal uh, to seek to address address that issue and to resolve it. And last week, the Labour Court made a recommendation uh, asking that the government, as the employer, in this case it's the HSC, uh, would bring forward proposals in the next number of weeks uh, in, in the autumn, is how they described it. Uh, and so that's now what we are considering. And it, it is a very difficult issue because your text there is, is spot on. I mean, we all remember the early days of the pandemic, pandemic going down to the supermarket uh, and retail workers, what they did. Uh, cleaners, you know, prison officers, Gardaí, members of the Defence Forces. So on yeah, the well, you, you do have the army in there. You, you mentioned the shop workers. You have lorry and freight drivers, uh, uh, Gardaí, obviously, taxi drivers, people working in supermarkets. Like, it, the list is endless. I, okay, it I can is. accept that you're saying it nurses want 10 days fair. leave. Uh, they want 10 days leave, so maybe they could get a holiday, for God's sake. Um, but, but what about everybody else? 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think anyone uh, would uh, begrudge the fact that uh, those who were really on the front line in healthcare did face um, huge personal risk. I mean, in the very early days of this, we weren't entirely sure what we were dealing with and thousands and thousands of nurses and doctors and other healthcare staff went to work and they did put themselves in harm's way. And that is a reality uh, that I think we all have to be really grateful for and that they were so professional and selfless in their approach. So I think most people accept that point, but there are many others across society who did uh, go beyond the call of duty and who, who really kept the country going in what were really dark times. So the government now has to consider uh, all of this and try to deal with it in a non-divisive way. And it does have the potential to open up divisions that really weren't there over the course of COVID. People did stick together and there was a lot of solidarity and we just need to maintain that now. But the people didn't create the divisiveness, though. It's the proposal created it? Well, I think there's a lot of loose speculation uh, as to what may or may not be planned. And uh, look, you know, I haven't got involved in that, but I do have a role in the department that I run uh, in uh, helping government now to come up with a solution here. And that's what I'm doing, working with my own team in the department, because we do have uh, responsibility uh, across the public service uh, in particular. I mean, we don't control you know, pain conditions generally. In no, the but you sector. will create a situation whereby, and it was Michal started that, and he's the one who said that he wanted to extend it beyond frontline staff. He said that, which could be potentially hundreds of thousands of other workers. But at the same time, while some people would get a bonus or a benefit or time off, others took pay cuts, which have not been reversed in the private sector. They must feel awful about hearing this. Um, Yeah, look, undoubtedly for so many people, their world has been turned upside down in the last year and a half, and we still have over 100,000 people who haven't got their job back. So I'm very conscious of the harsh reality that a lot of people are still facing as a result of COVID, you know, something that nobody in Ireland uh, caused or contributed to, but we've paid a very high price for it um, at a human level, at a national level with our public finances uh, in our society and our economy, the impact on public services and so on. The difficulty, Neil, in trying to define frontline is that it does it does get complicated and it does get difficult uh, to decide exactly where the dividing line is between who is frontline. Is that what you're who, trying who to work out then, is it? Well, of course, that issue is being examined as part of this um, because, you know, if, if we, we seek to define that, uh, you will quite understandably put a list of different occupations to me and say, yeah. is this person frontline? Yeah. Is that yeah. person frontline? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it, it's, it's a difficult judgment call. It might be a grey area where somebody's role involves, you know, directly supporting the frontline staff. Somebody's role might involve dealing with the public on occasion, but not all the time. So it is difficult. So we just need to uh, work our way through this. Well, it's, it's, this it's right down to wait staff who weren't vaccinated, who were... Uh, serving customers, for instance, in restaurants or pub facilities, anybody in the hospitality sector, for instance. Um, Pierce Doherty Doherty has said a €200 voucher for everybody in the country. Would that solve it? That's one one option, uh, but then that does not give any extra recognition to the people who were really on the front line, um, particularly in in healthcare. Um, That would be uh, a way of not, um, you know, 
not having to, to separate people into different categories. Uh, but I suppose you have to bring this back to what are we what are we trying to do here? And I think what we're trying to do here is uh, to find a way of recognising uh, people who genuinely did go beyond the call of duty and who took you know personal risk, made huge sacrifices to keep the show on the road and to look after the rest of us. That's that's really what you're trying to do. Um, but in, in defining that exactly, gets very gets very difficult. If you were to say it's healthcare only, then you will justifiably have you know members of the defence forces and prison officers on within the public sector and many others in the public sector and then you will put the arguments to me about those in the private sector who are definitely on the front line as well so it's it's not an easy one Neil How much would it cost you? Did did you mention a figure last week of a billion? Well the figure I put on the record last week was the cost of of meeting the claim that has been lodged the claim that has been lodged is for healthcare staff That's just a billion for the 10 days No, uh, just to be clear um, so it's a minimum of 377 million for healthcare staff to get 10 days, but because you'd almost certainly have to pay overtime or bring in agency staff to provide the cover, uh, you're looking at over a half a billion. But the truth is that many healthcare staff will tell you, and I've no doubt some will text you now and say that they can't take the leave that they're already entitled to. And so there is that practical reality as well that many of these services are under pressure, waiting lists have grown as a result of COVID, and so the capacity to actually grant uh, this leave in in the next number of months uh, is I think quite limited. The 1 billion euro figure is if you were to apply 10 days leave right across the public sector uh, where all public sector workers would get it. But uh, All public sectors would get it even though a lot of them worked from home. This is what the cost would be. Well, why would why would you it, give it to those that were working from home? It, I mean, it, 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 like it that would nothing. be like, with the, particularly as an example of that, the nightmare over passports, for instance. Yeah, it is not being proposed, Neil, that there would be ten days leave for every public servant. That is not being proposed. Just to be clear on that, but these are uh, illustrative figures uh, to give you a sense of the cost involved. Of uh, do you see it from the, the private sector? Here. I mean, you were in private sector for a lot of your life. The private sector are voiceless. They don't have any union powers or they don't have any representative bodies as such to fight their corner. Well, the, the unions do have a strong presence in large parts of the, the private sector. Uh, but the uh, issue here is that the, the government has been faced with claims. They're not paid claims. They're claims for annual leave from the health sector. And over the weekend, we've seen other uh, parts of the public sector also say that they, they will be looking for similar treatment. Uh, so I just think we have to take a mature and calm and responsible approach to dealing with this. Uh, we, we believe that recognition is warranted. Yeah, I think but that you- there are... Let me oh, just yeah. let me just reiterate here because I just want to be clear what you're saying. You you couldn't give um, a bonus uh, or or extra time off to the to public sector workers working from home. I just want to be clear about this. While while private sector workers took pay cuts, she, she, you couldn't. Well, the, the the tools that we have to control uh, rewards for private sector workers are, are, are much more limited. So the idea of a public holiday or National Day of Remembrance is one way, for example, where uh, private sector workers would, would benefit. Though I know a lot of people work on a bank holiday, but they would be entitled to some compensation or time off in lieu uh, if they were to do that. So we have to examine what are the options available to us to treat people equally. But I think it does come back to answering the basic question, what are we trying to achieve here? 
And I think what we're trying to achieve is some recognition. It's not a reward. It's not compensation. You couldn't compensate people for the work that they did. It's those who were really on the front line and the risks they took, you know, with, uh, in some cases, inadequate PPE, overcrowded uh, hospitals, um, people looking after people who were dying in critical care, people in nursing homes, Neil, working in nursing homes for a huge number of the fatalities. And I, oh, I listen, I acknowledge and, 100%. And, and, and I mean, I heard the look, stories. I heard the stories many, yeah. of the postmen and women who were calling yeah. to people living on their own, doing their shopping, just checking in on them, standing six feet away from them for 15 minutes just for yeah. the sake of talking to someone. Exactly. That's frontline to me. Even since, uh, it is frontline, of course. Even since this debate kicked off, um, I'm looking at my own inbox and the messages coming in and there's no consensus. There is no consensus. There are very different views being offered as to what should be done. And I, I think you'll probably see that coming into your own um, yeah. Yeah. text line there as well. So, look, it's a difficult issue, but we're, 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 we're committed to re- bringing forward a proposal uh, in the next number of weeks uh, which aims to be as fair as we possibly can be to avoid division in society um, but also to make an effort to recognise the people who genuinely did uh, put themselves um, you know, at risk and went beyond the call of duty um, so it's not an easy one but we will, we will have a proposal okay. in the next few weeks. Meanwhile you've got everything else to deal with as we come out of this you've got the headache of the finances and an upcoming budget and of course this morning we hear in the front of the examiner that house price are up uh, another 9% in the last 12 months. I think Mick Barry there a while ago said that the average price of a house now is 13 times salary. Do you remember the days when it was maybe twice salary, two and a half, three times? Um, uh, I do, and uh, I, I, I don't know where he's getting that figure uh, from uh, of 13 times average salary. I mean, the average full-time wage in Ireland is in the mid-40s, 40-odd thousand. So let's say, so that it's sure seven, let's say that it's seven or eight times. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's I do know what up. you're saying, and, uh, you know, th- th- that is why we have brought forward uh, the largest investment in housing that the country has ever seen, and now we have to implement that. We need to build uh, well over 30,000 houses a year. Uh, Darrell O'Brien now has been given the funding uh, to deliver direct by direct build, which is what we, we did when Ireland was a much poorer place, uh, over 9,000 uh, social homes every year, and also to set up for the first time in over a decade uh, affordable housing schemes and cost rental schemes. But demand keeps so, us stripping supply, you know, and, and also bear, bear in mind that we have, frankly, they're saying 10,000, we're 10,000 short with regards to construction workers. Uh, well, I think the 10,000 figure is the number of people still on the PUP whose last job was in construction. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's something the Department of Social Protection uh, will follow up on because there is a shortage of workers in construction. And, uh, you know, we have introduced now a major expansion of the apprenticeship program. We want to double the number of people going into apprenticeships in the next number of years. We expect that we will need about 27,000 extra construction workers for home building over the next number of years. Some will come from abroad, uh, some will come through the system here in Ireland and some will be people who uh, you know, are currently out of work and who did work in construction previously. So uh, the government is putting the money into this and now it is about delivery and getting homes built in the various forms. Public housing, private housing, affordable housing and cost rental housing and that's what we're committed to doing. What about all of the empty properties though? It probably isn't your omit, the vacant properties, the ones that are unused, the ones that just could really be turned around really quickly, both public and more importantly private, particularly in rural Ireland. I mean, you see them everywhere. Is that a headache? 
when you when you when you see those kind of properties just sitting uh, there? Of course it is, and I think that there can be you know lots of different reasons as to why properties are vacant. Sometimes they're caught up in legal disputes, um, uh, and in other cases it's stuck in probate and so on like that. But undoubtedly, there are a lot of properties that are just just less just derelict. Uh, derelict uh, and empty, uh, for sure. What we are going to do. I mean, I often uh, thought, would you not? Could we not just give them to people, or, or, or say, okay, you can have them. Uh, just do them up and live in them. Uh, just use it or lose it. Uh, you mean in private housing? Yeah, yeah. Well, we we can't just hand over houses that we don't own. I mean, people have property rights and so on. It's not that easy. But it's I mean, an awful are, shame, though, when you see uh, so many it, of them. It is, and what we have said we will do as part of the housing plan uh, is to introduce a, a tax on vacant homes and we're going to collect all of the data we need to do that now as part of the local property tax uh, revaluation. Uh, there's a new assessment being done of that. Uh, and people for more money again, Michael? Uh, vacant, sorry, the vacant homes With tax. the property, can people just expect the local property tax to go up then? Uh, it will in some cases, um, but in the majority it won't. Uh, the last evaluation of properties was done uh, back in 2013, so prices have gone up a lot, uh, but the rates now are being adjusted. And so in most cases there won't be an increase. Uh, in a small number of cases there may be a reduction, um, but in some there will be an increase. But uh, where there is an increase, it will be almost certainly just one band, but the majority there will not be because the rates are being adjusted to reflect the fact that valuation... Oh, it's people with bigger up. houses, more expensive houses have been paying too little and it's just being adjusted to reflect that is it uh, well that's part of it yeah. uh, but we, you have to do a revaluation there hasn't been one since 2013 we also have the situation where tens of thousands of new homes built over that period uh, have remained outside of the LPT net and are not paying the property tax I think that needs to be dealt with as well and so they are going to be brought into the local property tax net and will now start paying local property tax you need so to find ways to um, pay, the, pay the COVID bill don't you I mean what, what does that stand at have you a figure for that yeah, I mean, look, last year the deficit was over 18 billion. The, the forecast, the official forecast for this year is about 20 billion, but it will come in less than that because tax receipts have been... You're saying uh, the COVID will cost us 20 billion? The, the, the budget deficit in the current year, 2021, uh, the current official forecast is 20 billion. That will be on top of an 18 billion uh, uh, deficit last year. So look, in overall terms, between last year and this year, the additional uh, public spending and measures that we've brought in to support business and support households, you know, is of the order of 40 billion. 40 uh, billion since, like, yeah. so that's the extra from before COVID, 40 billion. Yeah, I mean, okay. to, to look at it in overall terms, going into COVID, the national debt was around 200 billion. Uh, next year, it will reach 250 billion. So a quarter of a trillion. How are you going to and find I, that? Uh, by, I mean, by is 2025, it will be about 280 billion. So we've been in a position to avail of, you know, really favorable borrowing conditions or can borrow at historic low interest rates where uh, we're refinancing as much debt as we possibly can and availing of the longest possible maturities that are available. So even though the amount of debt has risen significantly, the cost of servicing it has fallen. The average interest rate now to serve the national debt is about one and a half percent. Yeah, but so ultimately people's children and grandchildren will have to pay this debt. You know, this is the legacy we're leaving them. Yeah, we'll, we, we'll have a much bigger debt. There is absolutely no getting away from that. 
and there will be you know uh, there will be different ways of dealing with that Co- countries and governments generally don't pay down debt they just roll it over and refinance it so a lot depends on what the borrowing conditions will be when the bonds that are being issued now mature in 10 15 20 years time uh, and they will have to be refinanced and the interest rates may well be very different so that is that is the case but the best way to reduce your debt uh, is to bring about recovery uh, to grow your economy uh, the key measure is your debt relative to the size of the economy and uh, Ireland has a very high gross national debt uh, among the highest in the developed world uh, but as a percentage of our economy uh, we're in a, in a, in a much better place uh, than a lot of other countries so the key thing here will be to uh, close the deficit every year so that you stop adding to the debt that's the first thing you have to do How are you going to need- do that? How's that going to affect people living here in their lives? Well, we're going to do it over a number of years. Uh, you can't take 15 to 20 billion euro out uh, of public spending or increase taxes uh, to, to that tune. Um, so what you, you need to do is uh, build your tax revenues by helping people to get back to work, um, by supporting businesses to help to create jobs and ensure that we have a strong enterprise-based economy. When I look at the deficit that we have, so last year it was 18 billion, as I said, and a about 15 billion of that was direct COVID-related expenditure. So what I have to do in my job is over the next couple of years uh, to just unwind, to start removing those COVID supports. And so the PUP, uh, which I know is a controversial one, and we've started to reduce that and it will be phased out uh, between now and February of next year. So that's just one example. Uh, The wage support schemes that are there, they will be phased out uh, over the period ahead. So we have to take uh, that exception emergency expenditure out of the Away. system in healthcare you know we would hope that there won't be a need for vaccines forever uh, all of the COVID related spending in health you know we'll, you know when you we'll, take we'll, away we'll PUP I read out a text or an email earlier on and she sent me a wage slip when you take away PUP and she went back to work she was getting 250 on PUP she went back to work now uh, and she's earning uh, 39 euro less working than she was on PUP um, that's a real struggle isn't it um, it is. Pop was an emergency measure. I mean, it was. But she's paying uh, it. Know. See, because she's paying it back now on a low income. Uh, she, she shouldn't have to pay back pop. Um, is she comparing her her wages now after tax to what she was getting on the PUP? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, the standard social welfare rate for a job seeker is €203. The pop was brought brought in at €350 because literally overnight in March of last year, hundreds of thousands of people were put out of work. She was on on €250 pop and she went back to work and her gross was €357 and she came out with €211. See? I don't know how she had deductions of 146 euro there. I mean, on, on, on she, three, she says yeah. it's paying back the pop tax, I guess. Um, no, the, the the pop the pop is not is not refundable. Um, what she may be talking about is the wage subsidy scheme and if she was in receipt of that for a period and tax wasn't being deducted on it there is an issue there for people but not related to the pup um, now the pup uh, yeah, the, the pup the pup is taxable income so unless it's a case that when they add up what her pup and now her work income is that there's tax due that's possibly what it is what it at. is clearly it's okay, taxable okay. income that she's now paying back having gone back to her I'm just giving you an example of what yeah the pup is taxable income what, yeah 
but if, but if your only income for the year is the PUP, then there's no tax payable. What? But if you add it to work income, then there is tax payable. Yeah, what can people income. expect in the budget? Look, it's a budget that is really designed to steady the ship. Uh, there will be increases in public spending of about f- over €4 billion. Euro. Uh, that will be to get services back up and running fully. We have a lot of work to do in health in particular uh, to try and make inroads and in waiting lists. Uh, we want to fund a major capital programme in housing and transport and in other areas. No, but I'm wondering, um, how will it affect people's pockets? Um, well, it will affect people's pockets through changes that are made in welfare and in tax. And so the budget is two weeks tomorrow. Uh, but there will be a social welfare uh, package and there will be uh, a tax package. And there hasn't been either of those. Really will people ask. pay more tax? Well, look, Pascal Dunne, who now is preparing the, the tax package, and it's not for me to be fair to him to uh, to outline what he may or may not do, but I think he has indicated uh, publicly that uh, he has a half a billion euro available to him for a tax package, and that means tax reductions, uh, not tax increases. But in any given budget, a Minister for, for Finance will consider all his options. But I don't envisage that there will be uh, increases in you know direct uh, um, uh, personal taxation on people in, in the coming budget. Uh, there will be changes in the carbon tax. Uh, those are already committed to uh, and are in law. Uh, there is a half a billion euro available for a tax package, but it, we're not we're not uh, planning to tax our way out of this. Our strategy is to get the economy going again and to close the deficit by achieving recovery. So you don't, so you're saying that, that there'll be no PRSI increases, there'll be no increase in universal social charges. We've heard that there'll be increases in the old age pension and indeed people on welfare payments. That's the case, isn't it? Yeah, to be fair, I can't commit to specific measures in the budget because it's it's two weeks away, but I'm saying in overall terms... Well, why can't you? Surely you've got... You must have that part done, PRSI and, and universal social charges. Uh, we, we have a lot of it done, but it, it's going to be announced on the 12th of October. But what I'm saying in overall terms on the tax front is that the, there will be net tax reductions uh, of €500 million. Euro. But in any given budget, you will have some things that may go up, and the carbon tax is one that will definitely go up, and you will have some taxes that come down... And I know that Minister Dunne, who has spoken about uh, income tax uh, in particular as being an area that he wants to focus on the tension okay. well, by, by, by way of reduction. There's so, not much you can say in that regard if it has to be announced in the Dáil first. But what, what, what we did yeah. find out about the Dáil at the weekend, actually, and this is why people might, take, might not take TDs terribly seriously when it comes to a housing crisis. How many of them in the Dáil are actually landlords themselves, and in some cases, multiple landlords? Do you see the irony in all of that? Um, yeah, I, I saw the reporting on uh, on the Irish Independent, and uh, look, that's that's a matter for each individual TD, and they, they are accountable to the people at election time. Yeah, no, uh, I know. Like I know, Simon had vote. an apartment in Harty's Key, and he sold it recently. Do, do you hold it? Do you hold any any rental property? Uh, I don't. Um, um, but look, I don't hold it against anyone who does. I mean, we need landlords in the system too uh, to provide. But it's the landlords in the Dáil, really, those leading the country, running the country, who are who are helping to keep rents so high but as being landlords all, all themselves of, you know the, the, their interests are, are declared 68, uh, in a 68 way. millionaires in the doll well look you could um, you could take issue with uh, a lot of uh, that presentation O'Neill first of all it included the value of your home but took no account of your mortgage in fact took no account of, of your debts or liability liabilities because they're currently not reported still, so still in uh, all to be classified as a millionaire in any way shape or form is an all right thing isn't it 
well, not if you owe the bank more than the value of your assets, which some people may do. But look, TDs have annual uh, declarations that have to be made. I think that's right and proper that people see what the commercial interests of TDs are so that um, that's transparent and uh, TDs then have to uh, to vote on measures in the doll that may Im- impact on them personally, yeah, um, but their motivation at all times has to be uh, to serve the public good and to act in the public interest and you know, I think that that is what the vast, vast majority do. But if it is for, a good thing that okay. their interests are published. If for, if, for instance, just finally, there is some kind of a, a generous payout to people who worked through uh, the pandemic, and let's say it goes across the public sector, would we then see TDs getting yet another pay increase? Do you think? I mean, TDs went from uh, I don't know. There was at least there was at least one, if not more, pay increases for TDs in the last eighteen months or so. Would this be another one? So TD's pay is is linked to the principal officer grade in the civil service. So we we, we don't set our own pay. And no, uh, I'm not saying you vote for it yourselves. I'm just saying would it? But could that potentially happen? Uh, no, that look, I I don't see any scenario where uh, where TDs would benefit from this, Neil. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's a privilege to do the job that I do. Delighted to do it, and uh, and um, it's certainly not for 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 that reward, okay. reward. I can tell you. All right. Are you are you anyway mortified this morning that your uh, local Garda station is not open most of the time in Carrigaline? Um, I'd like to see it open uh, for longer hours, certainly. I, and when I talk to senior Gardaí about this issue directly, uh, they make the point that uh, they prefer to have uh, cars in the area. They want Gardaí to be mobile, to be in a position to respond to uh, to uh, call-outs and the issues that arise in the area. Uh, I do think that it would be helpful if we had definite hours, even if it's a small number of hours, where you had a guarantee that the station would You're be open. You're saying that the Garda station mind. don't need to be open? They don't need to be open all the time. I think what people want is uh, a service that um, responds to their needs, that if there is a call out that the Garda will be present quickly but I do think when it comes to opening hours uh, so that you can plan your own life and if you have a form that needs to be signed or whatever that you know from you know 10 in the morning to 2 in the day that the, the station is open 3, 4, 5 days in the week um, so that is an issue that I think we do need to make progress on that people have certainty uh, in relation to that I mean we are increasing the Garda numbers uh, nationally and um, that will percolate down into all parts of the country including including Cork and in, including suburbs like Cargilline and Douglas yeah. where more Gardaí are required I, I accept that um, but the, the Garda management view is that they want them and they want them out and about they want them available they don't want them in the station Are you telling me that even guards have told you that they're not bothered with closed Garda stations or ones that are open like 20 hours a week? I'm referring to conversations with uh, with senior Garda management um, which I would have uh, on a reasonably regular basis and uh, they, they always make that point. I met Drew Harris uh, recently, the Garda Commissioner, and you know, he would also have made that point. No, that I understand that, but at the coal face and dealing with it on a daily basis, you're saying they want to have, they're happy because the guards are out on the beat. The public are saying they're not. Look, I think we always need more Garda visibility. Uh, I accept that. And uh, that's why, you know, we have a program of civilianisation. I think a lot of the work that Gardaí have traditionally done uh, could be done by civilians. doesn't need to be done by uh, uniformed officers. And uh, the Gardaí are making progress in, in that. And also they are increasing the overall number of Gardaí in the system. And uh, then they have to be allocated uh, around the country. And, you know, we have to make sure we get our fair share.
But we don't, apparently, sure we don't, in Cork. We might get people who are down training, but that's about all. Then they're gone. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think it is it is fair to say that the, the Garda management are, are always under pressure to respond to areas where there is, you know, very serious need in some cases where a crisis exists. We've had that in different parts of Dublin over the last number of years where a lot of extra Garda were put into gangland areas, areas where um, where serious gangland crime was taking place. Um, we also had additional Garda um, stationed in Drogheda, for example, where there was a major dispute. So that is true, uh, that Gardaí uh, are sent to areas where uh, there are particular problems. And uh, But I'm committed to working with the Garda management to improve the strength of the force uh, in Cork. Uh, I would like to see dedicated hours for station opening that can be committed to uh, and uh, and also to see more Gardaí out and about. And that's why we're increasing the number of Gardaí. OK, let me uh, get the response from the public with regards to our conversation. But thanks for taking the call, Michael. Thank As you. always, covering off the ground, obliged to you for it. Michael McGrath, Minister for Finance and Expenditure. Your thoughts on that? Please respond. Text 0868104106 if you want to get involved in the conversation. 1850104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, um, all of this started with uh, Michal saying that uh, they were exploring uh, some way of uh, giving either a payment or time off or a combination of both for frontline staff who worked and went above and beyond during COVID. And then, of course, he had to start saying, oh, well, you know, there may be other people as well who wouldn't be frontline as such, but also would have to be, you know, uh, you know, in some way rewarded for their time and their work. And then, of course, the whole thing just took off as to how you define frontline and how do you're saying it's just not health and you know it's other people in different sectors and it's not all just public sector uh, so that's where we're at right now I'm not quite sure that they from that conversation with Michael McGrath that they're any clearer as to who uh, will be included or what they will actually get we're very keen to find out what the people of Cork thought about it so uh, Seamus Whelan took to the streets I, I believe that the frontline should be uh, rewarded and, and you know handsomely rewarded Oh, what about everybody else then in the uh, in the private sector that probably did their their bit as well? Yes, I think so. Um, like everybody, in my view, as far as I could see, put their shoulders to the wheel, and and, and why not? You know, um, I know that some business didn't do so well, but a lot of businesses did very well. You know, and and on a case by case basis, um, why not uh, reward those those that helped out and took the extra step? It's hard to find the frontline worker. That's the problem. But I do think they deserve it. I think the doctors and nurses and all of them definitely deserve something. It's hard to please everybody, but I think they do need to be recognised for all the hard work they've done. I think it's divisive kind of uh, politicking, deliberately designed to uh, create false debate about stuff that's not important when there's more important issues going on. It's very easy to create divisive debate, whatever, about anything, wokeness, nationality, race, gender, whatever. It's a cheap trick. That's what it is. Well, I suppose definitely, I suppose um, for, say, those working in healthcare and I think definitely the retail staff. Um, I don't know about every single public sector worker. Some of them were working from home. Didn't have as much of an impact on them. So definitely for retail staff and um, hospital staff, I definitely think they deserve something. Absolutely sure. Who could deny a bonus to the people who are on the front line? That's absolutely fantastic. But I think, you know, there were many, many people who worked very hard in lots of, of, of different areas, you know, not necessarily just the public That's sector. That's the thing, how do, you, how do you define the front line? Yeah, 
That's it. Absolutely. And I mean, I suppose the front line can be a physical thing, but actually it can also be lots of people supporting people on the front line, you know. I mean, and, and the problem with this argument is that you you know nobody wants to deny what the people on the front line actually did so it's not one versus the other really they're just it's it's complex i think you know i think the uh, defense forces personnel should be handsomely rewarded they've shown extraordinary flexibility uh, in doing lots of jobs that were outside their normal spec and i think they've been overlooked in both what has been mentioned in, in the media and, 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 and by the, the management and leadership, both within the HSE and the government. So I, I would think that they deserve it, uh, along with the frontline workers. In fact, they were frontline workers. Keep giving them bonuses, as much bonus as possible, Guess especially to so. the ground workers. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the water boys who've been on the ground since the start of COVID and have not been recognised. Without water, you've got nothing. The public sector bonus doesn't bother me. <laughs> One way or the other. You, you don't think they should get it or not get it? Everybody should get more, really, shouldn't they? Really, like, you know, whether you're in public sector or private sector, you should have enough. Yeah, even the term public sector bonus in itself is divisive. As one chap said there in that uh, in that audio report from Seamus, it's nothing more than a cheap trick. Tara Cara says, well deserved for anyone who worked through the entire pandemic. And Maria says, a tax-free bonus for all workers would be a better option. Tax-free bonus. Pl- places are understaffed as it is, so giving people extra time off will just put more strain on business. Uh, healthcare workers like healthcare assistants and nurses aren't paid enough as it is. The pay for healthcare assistants is a disgrace nowadays. They do most of the work in care homes, the healthcare assistants, uh, and they get paid peanuts. And no, I'm not a healthcare assistant. Deirdre says, there are plenty of workers that had to work through the pandemic. What about factory workers, lorry, dri- lorry drivers, catering staff? It should not be just down to one or two groups. It would be so unfair. Ian, in an already understaffed health system, giving more time off is brain dead. Give money and still keep staff on duty. Maybe a tax-free lump sum would sort it. It'd be a nightmare for staff to try and get this so-called time off. Regina says, give them a pay rise, they deserve it. The government keeps saying we're in this together, but you're forgetting about the rest of the workers that work through the pandemic. Don't segregate people. Give nurses the rise they deserve. Don't insult them by trying to give them time off, which they can't take anyway in a time of crisis. And Mark says, I said it at the early stages of this pandemic that there should be tax breaks for those that worked on the front line. Yes, but a bit like war. Uh, where do you determine the front line to be? What about childcare practitioners that are to work or landscape gardeners, factory workers, plenty of other sectors that could be mentioned who worked right through? I totally respect the retail and health professionals for working through it. And I do agree that their work should be recognized, but they weren't the only ones that worked through it. Lisa says, free, tax free is the answer, not time off. Um, Jacqueline, so well, they should, putting their lives at risk through the whole pandemic. And finally, for now, and there's many of them, does this apply to all people who work through the pandemic? People who didn't work got looked after and they're still reaping the benefits. What about those that actually went to work? What about those that actually went to work regardless of whether they came in contact with the public or not, is it? Anyway, text 0868104106. Kieran's standing by, so is Dan. First up, Jim, good morning. Yeah, good morning, sir. Your thoughts? Go ahead. Uh, I just, I just seen. Look, the nurses are entitled to it. Everybody is entitled to a bonus after the last two years that we were uh, doing. But the government are going around it wrong by dividing the the workers in the country. Everybody is entitled to something. And we just take the my heroes again. I always said it. 
for the girls in the shopping centres. We we think back a year and a half ago when they were out serving everyone. No one knew how bad this pandemic was going to get. And the government side... Yeah, and I mean, you could go right down into the minutia of that because there was security staff inside in the supermarkets. There was no vaccines around and they were dealing and getting hassled by people who wouldn't put on a mask and wouldn't stand far distance at all. What about them? They were fabulous and we're giving giving them nothing. We're not even recognising them. That makes it worse. The government has a habit of only recognising their own, their civil servants. We live in a civil servant state. Everything goes to them and the workers get nothing. This is going on. They're talking about giving 30 cents on the minimum wage. Just for anyone on minimum wage, just so they know it. It would take them four years to catch up with the 1,850 euros that the government are going to give to the civil service. Where did you get that 1,850 euro figure, incidentally? That, they, they announced that last week. It's 1,850 is what they're talking as a bonus. And it will take anyone... Would that be tax-free then? To catch up. Would, that, that, would that be a tax-free 1,800 for medics? That would be called payment in kind. It didn't have to be taxed. So depending on what they're earning, they could be paying back 925 euros in tax. Um, so it's, it's useless to them in a sense. And it could destroy something else. But the wages in this country is wrong for everyone. No one can afford rent. I mean, there's some the minimum wage is what? Ten euro twenty, isn't it? Ten euro twenty. Thirty cent onto it, and it would take you four years to earn nineteen hundred and twenty. If you wanted the right figure, it would take you four years at thirty cent at forty euros a week just to catch up. That's disgraceful. That's just that's terrible. That's insulting people. That's insulting workers. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, gonna, it's it a, to it's divisive, isn't it, as to who but, should or who shouldn't? I mean, what do the kids? Our kids can't get homes. The homes they can't get rent to the accommodation. The whole country's in a mess. While there's millionaires in Dublin, property owners, like there's a solution here for rent, and that's give people a tax-free allowance on their rent. At the moment, they get nothing. If you're working and you're paying exorbitant rent, give them a tax-free allowance in it and take it off the landlords. Do something right so that people have money in their pocket. At the moment, the kids have nothing. What, you see the front of the Echo today saying the students are going to penny dinners and living on dried cornflakes. Would you, yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. yeah. Look, the parents should be kicking in there, but it probably is. They don't be living off cornflakes at night when they're drinking beer. But look, that could be there for some of them. But I'm saying we need to look at the whole tax system. Like, I mean, the bunch of fools we have in Dublin are no good. We have Michal Martin there who wants to interject inject five-year-olds, and the Pfizer's haven't given it a pass yet. Neither has the European government, and he's, he's talking about injecting something that he has no control on. But by and large, just on that point, by and large, if you look back at the last 18 months, and listen, I don't want to be going back to the days of talking nine to midday every day about COVID, but it, would yep. you not think that by and large, they did quite well with regards to the pandemic, the government? So what do they do? Well, they're, they're injecting children, there's no need, Neil. A five-year-old does not need to eject them. No, I mean, they, they, they assisted businesses, they introduced the pub payment, uh, they rolled out the vaccine, and, and again, it's not a compulsory vaccine. That, In fact, that's causing problems in itself now. I'm starting to see a lot of stories with regards to... You know, I heard of a story last week of a woman who was going into a maternity hospital who was insisting that, because she was pregnant, that she didn't want to be in a ward with unvaccinated pregnant women, you know? But that's only the government scaremongering. You can imagine, look, how could anybody that's not vaccinated be a bigger threat here with COVID if you're vaccinated than the person that is vaccinated? I know, I mean, it's that old chestnut again, I know. But people are swallowing the rubbish. Like, I get a pain in my head when I hear people talking like that. That's just stupid people not thinking it through. It's rubbish. You know, but 
Look, if, if we didn't do what we done last year with supporting businesses and supporting people, we'd have had anarchy in the, in the country, we'd have had anarchy in Europe. Everything would have broke down. That's the only reason they've done it. Law and order was out the door. Yeah. You saw it for the first two weeks, there was panic buying the toilet roll. Yeah. That was the first two weeks. Yeah. Multiply that by 30 and you, you wouldn't walk the streets in Cork or Ireland. Much of what they did, they followed, they followed, they followed worldwide protocol. Okay, let, let, let me talk to Dan. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, good. So what point did you want to pick up on? Right. With Michael McGrath, uh, quoting the figures that the average wages was, I know they said 40,000. 40, he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And listen to me. Where's that man? It's, where, where has he been living and for the last 20 years? Did, listen, there is something like five or six hundred thousand people. Work, workers now earning less than 30 grand a year. And you called out an email this morning where uh, some of, uh, you got an email in about a, a person getting a pop payment and they're gone back to work and they're earning less than a pop less, payment. Yes, yeah, yeah. I have the pay slip, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I don't know, for years and years, Neil, they have been quoting those figures. When I was working, they were, they were telling people the average industrial wage was, was 30, 35,000 a year or something. And I never knew anybody. Well, I did. I did actually know some people working in big pharmaceuticals earning that kind of money. There's nobody. There's nobody working in in some of the low paid jobs earning that kind of money. And would 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 you ever? Depends on it depends on what survey you look at. Because I was looking at different surveys this one. morning. Then after he said what he said, and one of them, one of them came up with the number from the Irish Times that the average full time salary in the Republic of Ireland is nearly forty nine thousand euro. But see what, what what see what they're doing. So that's the same as like that. That the hourly uh, earn the average hourly earnings of an Irish right. based employee yeah. is nearly twenty four right. euro an hour. Yeah, our big tax take from the multinationals has kept this country going for the for the last twelve up years and years. And the amount of, and that's what saved us during the last two years was the amount of tax coming into the multinationals. And Neil, would would you ever explain to people where they're getting those average industrial wages? I've no notion. I've no notion. There's three or four different numbers here. One of them even quotes one of them even quotes thirty four thousand. Thirty. So I don't know. What, you know, depends on the survey. I or, know. I do. And listen, one one more point. But they I, are uh, saying that the Irish worker, on average, is earning twenty three euro an hour, and a minimum wage then for others is ten euro twenty cent. That's right, yeah, that's right. And he, and they rose up by, well, they're talking about 30 cents. 30 cents, yeah. Yeah, you're going back to the, about the bonuses for people that were working. A lot, a lot of the, the people in government departments, they work from home, Neil, a lot of them. They did. Am I right, Sandra? You are right, and some, and some still are, incidentally. And, and, and and, and we'll, we'll never know as to whether they worked any harder or any more or any less, you see. No, I guess, and, and are are they all now going to get the same as the, uh, the people working in the health service, the same, same money? If it's a, if it's a public sector bonus, they would. Yeah. 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 Okay, we'll pick it up after 11, 1850, 104, 106. Emerald Award winning music station of the year. This 
is Cork's Red FM. And it's lovely to have competitions back. You know the small little steps that we take. And on air, it's nice to be reflecting it with giveaways. So that's nice too. So 250 euro vouchers every day this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And then on Friday, a 1,000 euro voucher from easylivinginteriors.ie. So that's the deal for you. Stay listen uh, for the cue to call and then guess who's hiding behind the sofa. And if that wasn't enough for you, right across Red FM on all stations all day long today, tickets to give away for No Time to Die. And you will be going to a screening five o'clock on Thursday at the Gate Cinema Cork, Mallow or Middleton. So your opportunity to uh, scoop two tickets for you and whomever you choose to take with you for the 25th Bond uh, movie and apparently Daniel Craig's fifth and final adventure. It's his last Bond, he says. And everybody now is um, um, wondering as to who the next James Bond will be, but that's for another day. So the cue to call for you and whomever you choose to take with you. I believe we are also organizing popcorn and coke. So it's a, a lovely experience. It's the kind of it's the kind of film that you got to see in a cinema. And thank God they didn't scream, scream it or send it directly, screen it or send it directly to the small screen because it's a big movie experience. So this is the cue to call you're listening out for. Don't call till you hear this. When you do, call it ten wins. Have a listen. The name's Bond. James Bond. Good man, Daniel Boy. Good man, Daniel Boy. So when you hear that again, get on the phone. It's great to be talking about giveaways and competitions and tickets for this, that and the other and movies and concerts and weekends and stuff like that. Bring it on. More and more, please. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. So do bear in mind, when you talk about the world that we live in, the... Uh, I suppose the, the the twilight zone that politicians live in by comparison. So we heard about all of the um, uh, landlords in the doll over the weekend, but we also heard about their pension pots, uh, and they were talking about those like Taoiseachs and Taunishers with fairly serious pensions when they quit poli- politics. Like for instance, Bihar Martin's pension alone, if you were to buy it or if you were to contribute to it, uh, every week of every month of your working career would cost you two million. Euro. That's what Michal Martin's pension alone would cost were he to pay for it all. Two million. Uh, Simon Coveney's is 1.6 million. Um, they also spoke, of course, about the fact that um, there was a time when TDs could just say goodbye to politics and leg it at the age of 50 and take a pension. That's changed now, of course. Uh, anybody elected to the Dáil after 2004 must be 65 to qualify for the full pension and the full lump sum. Mind you, they can they can get a reduced pension any time from the age of 55 onwards. So that's the, uh, you know, we had the political rich list of the weekend. Uh, and I don't know how many people picked up on the actual pension pots when it comes to senior politicians or uh, Taoiseachs and Taunishters and what have you. Meanwhile, of course, the bonnet contention is this bonus. How much and who will get it? So Jason says, what about truck drivers getting this bonus? No one ever mentions them and they were the ones that kept the country open and going. Morning, I worked through the pandemic. Not a single day did I miss. Where's my bonus? Where's my recognition? It's bad enough my tax pays for the scroungers every week who receive their Christmas bonus. Now this. That's a very generalized comment to make against those who um, um, are scroungers and those who genuinely need and deserve welfare payments. Morning, I worked through uh, the whole pandemic and not from home, I would add, within the disability sector. I dealt with parents in pieces at times. I went home in tears at times. 
I don't begrudge anyone a bonus, and I more than likely wouldn't get it. I'm admin, so probably wouldn't qualify, but I wouldn't begrudge anybody else. Try not to make it a divisive issue, Neil. Too many people are trying to pit sectors against each other. Uh, you have a voice that can be used for good, so please use it for good, says Therese. I'm happy to read out your text saying that, but I have to read out as many as I can from people of all different opinions. But appreciate what you're saying, Therese. How about a bonus for all the cleaners who worked during COVID? Cleaners behind the heroes uh, when the heroes were finished were the cleaners. They cl- they cleaned, they sanitized endlessly. The cleaners that deep cleaned when COVID had been present. Others ran out and the cleaners were sent in. It's an excellent text. Last year, supermarkets made a massive profit and sponsored a lot of things. So why can't they spend all the money they make on their employees now for a change? Well, a lot of the big supermarket chains did really, really well uh, during COVID. They really did. I hope they don't forget about the many, many parents that had to stay at home full time with special needs kids with no outlet or help. Where's the reward for them? Uh, How about if they gave us the basic living wage instead of false promises? as most of the frontline workers were people on minimum wage anyway. Um, outside the healthcare system, they should automatically have gotten a bonus already. Uh, frontline workers who weren't working within healthcare. Um, and then there's many more like that. Uh, President Kennedy once asked, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We've been through a pandemic. Why look for a bonus? Take pride in helping the country through the crisis. I thought we were all in this together. Everyone had a part to play. All right, so that's the selection of text 0868104106. I will come back to that and lots more besides between now and midday. But I like to try and accentuate the positive as well. And I just loved that story that I saw uh, over the weekend where Duffy's Circus are looking for people to join the circus. Primarily, there's a shortage... There's a shortage of clowns. Many people would say they'd get a lot of job applicants for those jobs as clowns in the circus if they went up to Dáil Éireann. But in case you're curious about a career in the circus, I'm joined by David Duffy himself. Dave, good morning. Hiya, Neil. Fair, pl- uh, fair play. Haven't chatted to you for a long time. It's been a while, actually. And, and th- you know, any time we did, it was about when the circus was coming to town. So when is yep. the circus coming to town? <laughs> Well, after um, after eighteen long, long months, um, we've actually um, we've actually set out just this morning. So um, we are uh, providing the logistics and equipment for uh, Circus Chibola, who got an LPSS grant. Um, so they're putting on a circus in uh, the grounds of Slane Castle over two weekends, uh, uh, first two weekends in October. And then after that, then, as soon as I finish that, as soon as all the restrictions are lifted on the 22nd, then um, we go back uh, on tour. Well, you know, Spanish flu couldn't stop you. Two world wars couldn't stop you. The civil war yeah. couldn't stop you. COVID stopped you, though. But it please. did. Yeah, it yeah, did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it did, Neil. Uh, it stopped us in the tracks. And as I said before, it was a like it was a hugely, hugely difficult time because it, like, it, it, it affected three generations of the family. Uh, it was again, it was more than the business, uh, Neil. As you know, it's um, you know it was our legacy handed down from generation yeah, to I generation. Know, I know, I know. And so it was really, it, it was a difficult time. But look, we're we're um, um, it's the blue the blue skies of today. So uh, and the headline story with Duffy at the moment is that you're looking for clowns. Is that right? Yeah, as funny as it sounds, like no, no pun intended. No, I um, like it. I like it. Put a smile on people's faces. Where, yeah. where have all the clowns gone? 
Well, um, when, when we closed, a lot of them went to Leinster House. Um, <laughs> and, and, and again, I just heard you listening about the pensions and that, you see, because we couldn't compete with that sort. But, um, it's, it's hard to get them to come back to their normal job. So, 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 uh, there you go. Um, what, what would a clown's resume be like if somebody, I mean, what, what would people need? What are the attributes of a good clown? Well, you know, again, people might think that uh, to be uh, a good clown, all you have to do is put on a big pair of shoes, baggy pair of trousers, and a, a big red nose. Um, so you're fine. <laughs> so you're I've done. I've, cl- I've clowned around in five pantomimes, but I qualify if I wore big, no, huge shoes. Well, well, I mean, we did go through your CV there yesterday. <laughs> what are you paying like? What are the, I what are the terms? You just didn't make the cut, you know. <laughs> the terms and conditions for a clown. I know, terms and conditions, I know. So, but I mean, the, uh, the really important thing is, uh, is well, obviously, you have to be funny. And being, uh, being a clown, is, is, uh, it's not easy. So you do obviously have to have a very good personality. You have to be humorous. You have to be good with all, with, with your audience. Uh, have to be able to read how things are going because, um, like even okay, the year before last, when when um, just before we got closed down, we actually tried a different sort of of, of a clown where rather than a, rather than being a clown, he was actually a character and. Although I found him really, really funny when I seen him in Europe, and that's why I booked him, it didn't work with uh, the Irish audience and, uh, and the kids. So um, it's um, so we know what we're looking for, um, and we are going to start some uh, online uh, auditions, and we're going to join up with Isaacs, which is the Irish uh, Street Art Circus and Spectacle Network. So we are genuinely, and like we are genuinely looking to see if there's anybody here in Ireland that have the skill set that we need. Not, not just clowns, incidentally. You, you like the whole of the UK. You're looking for HGV drivers, mechanics, electricians, yeah. general circus operatives, um, yeah. clowns, as I say, billers. What are billers? Are the people that put out the billboards in the different there's towns? One, yeah, that's the, yeah, the uh, bill posters, the ones that will go to all the <clears throat> local shops and businesses and, um, and display posters for us, which has been a, you know, uh, a thing that's been there for, for generations and generations because there's nothing like, uh, you know, the colourful posters in the in the shop windows uh, advertised. To, to drum up the business and drum up the excitement. Did a, yeah. did a lot of people who were in the circus where everything closed just, just go back to their own countries, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, when we got uh, closed down there, uh, like, you know, uh, March 2020, a lot of all our artists and crew have actually come back to our, our own winter quarters here in Navan because um, we were okay. We were lucky to get uh, some of them home, but then others, then their um, the borders closed, so they were with us for many months. Um, <clears throat> so, like the artists have uh, have all gone away, and because the circuses in England and Europe have been back working for the last six months. Yeah, I know. European yeah. pool of artists is gone. And can you get can you get special EU visas for an essential worker like a clown? Yeah, well, now we can. Up like from like from this day last week, um, visas are being uh, opened up now for non EU uh, uh, non EU countries. So we are in the process now of applying. But again, crew lads, crew, crew that I've had for like 20 years um, have all 
they've all had to, you know, up and leave and get uh, get themselves to the job. So and how are you doing? A, how are you doing with high wire trapeze artists and acrobats and the roller skaters and the people in the wall well, of death and the wheel of death and all that stuff? Well, I mean, <clears throat> we're, like fortunately, we have. Um, we have quite a lot of them ourselves, my two sons and, um, you know, other members of our family. Yeah, and yeah. then we're actually amalgamating with some of the other circuses over here um, to, uh, to put a, 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 put a program together until, and then over the next couple of weeks and things, then we hope then that uh, the company is going to be augmented by uh, other artists. And what are you good at, like, if you were short-staffed? Can you throw your hand at anything then yourself? <laughs> uh, before before I got to seventeen stone, um, I was. I, You're I mean, a trapeze artist, really. I was. I mean, no. I mean, I started in the I started in the circus ring when I was seven. Neil, I was. Um, I was on the stage in the Olympia for my eighth birthday doing a speciality oh, act with my dad, doing a high uh, aerial act uh, with late Jack Cruz. So. Um, yeah, in my lifetime, I've done, You've done it um, all. You've done I've it done all. horse riding, high wire, trapeze, um, stilt walking, uh, and uh, and I, I served my time for a long time as a clown. But then the last twenty years, I've been the ringmaster. So I have the hundred and sixty years of Duffy. Isn't that an incredible achievement, though? In fairness. 160 yeah, years. We, I mean, we've been going. Yeah, we've been going since the 1850s, Neil. And um, oh and look, it was kind of that. It was kind of like that. Um, that that's what kept us going. Uh, and and the whole thing about the generations before me, my you know my my dad and my granddad and all the things that you said that we got through. You know, the civil wars. You know, our war of independence. Two of us. They all kept going. You know. And was there, going. you know, on a very serious note, was there a lot of weight on your shoulders then, as the guy, hundred and sixty years later, that to keep the lights on? I read somewhere that you were you were down to 48 grand in the bank account or something and days from calling it a day. Um, yeah, well, actually what it was like, we were, we were down to 48,000, uh, you know, in our overdraft um, because uh, like up until sort of three or four weeks ago, we, we got no business support uh, because like everybody in the event, in the live entertainment sector, we didn't, um, uh, we couldn't apply for a lot of the, the supports, the COVID supports, like the CRSS, um, because we weren't working from a reasonable premises. And a lot of the events... That's right, uh, you were mobile, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so again, like, you know, in all my talks with, the, you know, with politicians and with ministers and that, and like I said to them, as soon as as soon as I can work out how to have a tour in circus from a fixed way to a premises, uh, I'll come back to you. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work so, that way. I <laughs> know, uh, no. So it was only as I say about maybe three weeks ago there was a grant came through from which was the event sector COVID sports game that was fifty thousand euro based and that was the maximum that could be got based on um, our loss of business in um, twenty twenty, but. That was in. I say that was in. That was in our account from no more than forty-eight hours, Neil, because uh, there was, you know, there was so many bills. Uh, I, know, know, I know. I know. I um, know. So look, um, yeah. So uh, look, <clears throat> it's it been happening. a struggle, but you've kept it there. You've kept it going and coming out I, the other side. The other end. Neil, thirty, <clears throat> almost thirty years ago, <clears throat> and I can remember. Actually, we were down in Cork. We were on the Lee Fields and. Um, my dad was taken to hospital and uh, it was discovered that he had cancer of the colon and after his operation he was given uh, between 6 months and 12 months to live 
Um, my uncles uh, that were still alive, they passed away since. They came down to see my dad. And at my dad's bedside, the first thing they said to me, the two, and again, you talk about pressure. They said, look, no matter what happens to your dad, like you have to keep the show going. I know, I know. Um, that was 30 years ago. My dad was given a year to live. My dad is still alive. Uh, fair, play to, fair play to him. It's the circus, it's the circus blood in him. <laughs> he's had COVID twice. He's had three heart attacks. He's had his uh, one kidney taken out with cancer, along with the colon cancer. And <clears throat> all he does is every, day, every time I go in to visit him, he has two questions. First question is, are we going to get back out on the road again? And how are all my horses? Oh, that's my it. God, David, that's a beautiful story. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. That's beautiful. No, this, yeah. You're, you are a ringmaster in a million, and I wish you another 160 years in business. I really and truly do. And we can't wait to see you on Lee side. So listen, Thank it's you, great to catch up because you're such a positive yeah. individual. If people want to apply for jobs in the circus, whether it's a clown or an operative, electrician, a mechanic, a driver, how can they do so? Um, they can just email us at um, uh, Duffy Circus uh, info at DuffyCircus.com Fair play to you um, Fair play or they, can reach out, they can reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram Lovely chatting with you Good luck You have too a, Neil Have a great you one too. Cheers man Thank you so so very much Thanks The lovely everybody. lovely David Duffy from Duffy's Circus So there you have it You want to run away join the circus Easy to do so info at DuffyCircus.com Text the Neil Prenderville Show now 86 Red FM. Ah, lovely guy, lovely guy. Talking about uh, lovely stories and lovely people. Uh, got us just a gorgeous email in from uh, Billa O'Connell's family. More to the point, James O'Sullivan, because Billa was his uh, grandfather. It's a beautiful email. I'm sure he won't, I know he won't mind me sharing it with you because it's beautifully written. And of course, we had um, uh, the removal and uh, funeral service of the weekend of Billa following his passing on Thursday. And he says, my, the late Billa O'Connell was my grandfather. As such, I'm writing this email on behalf of my grandmother Nell who would very much like to thank you and all of your colleagues and everybody for all of the warm and rich tributes that you offered on the occasion of Granda Billa's passing. As well you know the people of Cork held a special place in Billa's heart so it was particularly comforting to hear so many people ring in your show on Thursday and on Friday to share their many memories of Grandad his character and his wit. Uh, Billa's entire life was dedicated to making others happy, to making them laugh and feel uplifted. I know that he would have been overjoyed to hear your shows Thursday and Friday to see that his legacy is one of joy, that when the people of Cork think of him, they think of jovial times, of a city that's full of friendship, community and connection. I often worry that the old Cork is fading away, but your programs renewed my belief that Cork's histories and communities and characters are still present and strong and indeed important. Grandad lived for the arts, for the stage and those audiences that graced Cork's many renowned theatres. His family are deeply proud of the rich contribution that Grandad made to the culture of Cork City and County. And we are delighted to see that many of your callers, some of whom had worked with Billa in the dramatic arts, also recognised his contribution. We will all miss Grandad very much, but no one more so than Granny, who was married to him for 66 years, or more than two life sentences, as she would often joke. Before they closed his casket at the removal, I saw her give him a final kiss in the forehead and say her final goodbyes. I can't imagine how much she will miss her partner, 
the man she's been with the entirety of her adult life. But what a life that has been. And in addition to the many, many wonderful memories she holds, she's also surrounded by her children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I hope those memories and our family can keep her from the loneliness she would undoubtedly feel when she sees his empty chair or when Christmas comes around and and posters are raised for Cork pantomimes again. And we hope to make a few more memories yet, just as Billa would have wanted. I know you were a good friend of Billa Neal, and I know he held you in high regard. The substantial and meaningful tributes that your show produced and facilitated provided significant comfort to us all, to my grandmother, to my mother Judith, to all of my aunts and uncles. And I wish to thank you all sincerely for that comfort and wish you all the very best. I'd also like to extend that thanks to all of your listeners whose tributes served as a reminder that the old Cork, Billa's Cork, is still alive and well. Curve Mahogwif Galair, says James O'Sullivan. Isn't that beautiful? It's just beautiful, and I'm so glad that it made such a difference. And I'm so glad now that we gave it the time that it deserved on Thursday and again on Friday to acknowledge and to remember the mark of the man himself, the great Billa. And all of that audio, just as a, as a by the way, from Thursday's program and indeed on Friday, we're putting together in one piece of audio. So we're putting it all together, packaging it all up, and we're going to give it uh, to Nell so that she can keep it and listen to it and play it back at her leisure. Uh, to, just a reminder of how well-loved Billa was by all people in Cork and their stories that they shared on Thursday and on Friday. So I think that's a nice thing to do, and that'll be done very, very soon and sent on to the family. So that's lovely. Okay, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I'll mix it up between now and midday, and I'll come back to a lot of the topics we're talking about. Don't even start with regards to taxi drivers and credit cards versus cash. I mean, there's just reams of that, which I hope to get back to. Uh, but I just want to get back to our phone calls and phone lines again. David, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, how, how much of the Ryder Cup did you actually watch, though? Because well, it was apparent I on Friday that it was all over. I watched it from 1 o'clock on Friday until half at 12 last night. Why'd you bother, like? No, no one saw me for the weekend. I was locked away watching it. Oh, why'd you bother? So you knew that there was no hope. No, but I just loved the Ryder Cup. But, I, but before I stopped, Neil, I just sat by giving a famous quotation that Henry VIII once said to his wives, I won't keep you long. <laughs> if you don't cop yourself on, it's off with your head. I won't keep you long. Go on, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, and I just come back to you and ask about Billa. I'm sure now Billa and Paddy coming for something together up in heaven. You can be sure of it. Try to outdo each other. <laughs> and I, I, I double act now up in heaven, I said. You got that right, kid. Rest is, rest, may they rest in peace, the two of them. Anyway, yeah, so there you are, yeah. ride a cop all weekend. Was it the booing? You're, is it the booing you're on about? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we know, we know. Well, we know ninety percent going into the tournament on Friday. That's you, you, with the American team was very strong, and you could say it was men against. Oh, I won't say boys, all men, because a lot of the European team, Neil, are past ourselves by this. Some of them have played in eleven and twelve and ten World Cups. Long time. Westwood and Garcino uh, had won a few games. Um, a few of the rookies didn't perform. McElroy hasn't played well for a long time. He won a point yesterday, though, didn't he? He got a point yesterday, and famous day, had to put him out first. He got his point. But going back to Friday, Neil, at one o'clock, when the when the when the the two pairings came out for the thirty-first game, Garcia and Ram. 
And they announced the turnaround and said, I would like to welcome the European team, Garcia and Ram, and the whole gallery booed, mm. right? Mm. Um, now, I was, t- I was saying it to myself, surely with the God, the announcer, if he had any bit of cop on at any decency at all, that he would have turned around to the gallery and said, listen, ladies and gentlemen, would you please refrain from booing from no one and give the European players some bit of respect. And the booing right? went on all weekend. And it went on and on for three days, and he never asked them to stop the booing, like, which to me was totally ridiculous. And um, there was one or there was one uh, spectator up in the gallery, he actually came right up to the front, calling John Ram's name, and, and, and eventually John Ram heard his name being called, and he turned around, and your man... I won't repeat on the phone, Neil, what he called, what he called him, right, in front of everyone. This so is the like, world's number one golfer you're referring to now. Right. He called it, he, he was, they, they, like the American fans, Neil, are, are low-motored, they're boisterous, uh, they're drinking mad, they, they're getting the hole, uh, anytime a European player hits a ball on its power three, uh, get in the water, get, get in the bunker, and they were, uh, I was reading this on the independent yesterday, a lot of players were called uh, 15 names yeah. as they were around the court. It yeah. was absolutely disgraceful. Did and you mute the sound at some stage, did you say? I do, oh yeah. I mean, I was saying any American player put put the ball into the hole, I had a great shot, I just muted the television, I didn't mind the other. Yeah, and are you saying that you will never watch the Ryder Cup again? On American soil. On American soil? Yeah, I'll watch it now in two or three years' time in Rome, but... Um, but I won't certainly watch it. And is there any booing when the Ryder Cup is played in Europe? No, 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 no. Yeah. I, look, the British Open, no. See, you see, the, 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 the Irish fans are the best fans in the world as regards the knowledge of golf. And even a lot of the top players have said that. John Ram said it. No, I know that. But they, they know their golf in America, too. Yeah, but like, but listen, you, you walk down Patrick Street during the summer and there's American people on the streets. If you're by Woodford Bournes and you're up by Patrick's Bridge, you'll hear them, you know what I mean? Yeah, but they're don't right don't soccer right, supporters boo the opposite teams? They do, like, but I mean, like, Mr. Golf is a gentleman's game, and, yeah, but a lot of these times, a lot of these times didn't, didn't even see any golf. They were just, they were up in the galleries and they were, they were drinking cans of beer all day. But the, the most, the most uh, upsetting scene from the whole weekend, Neil, was Justin Thomas. He on Saturday at the for the four ball at two o'clock, he was the cheerleader in front of the whole gallery as 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 the, as the before the players came out, and he was running around like an absolute lunatic that you see now down on the Grand Parade at the night, and he was uh, uh, dancing and jigging and waving hands and fist pumping and well, everything. So they were delighted with the start, I suppose. You couldn't blame them. When was the last time they won? Yeah. Do you do you recall? And they were about four or five Ryder Cups ago. Yeah, so... Maybe about 2006, 2008. Maybe they just the excitement got the better of them. Yeah, but but, but it's now to this, Neil. Justin Thomas came along. Now, they hadn't the tournament won. It was, it was Saturday, 2 o'clock. A lot of golf to be played. He opened his kit bag, or a kit bag, took out a can of beer, knelt down on one knee in front of the whole gallery, and gulped down half of the can, stood up, and smashed the can on the ground. And was it beer? Beer, yes. Yeah, okay. and he smashed it into the ground. Okay. No, I don't very much if Paul Harrington would allow any of his team to act like that. No. And Steve Stricker, he should be, he, he, 
least because the captain should have reprimanded him. Did any of the just? I mean, you watched though. Did any of the the European team complain? No. Uh, I don't know that need okay. to be honest. With you. But, okay. uh, but like, and then again, you see, the, the disadvantage the European team had is that even if they even if they put a diff, put a put in from forty or fifty feet. There was no European fans. They right? weren't there to cheer. So yeah. there was no there was no cheer. So the fact that the players on the other holes didn't know what was happening. There was no um, fans to, to cheer them. And all you hear was every time a European player took a shot, they were booed. And every time they missed the shot, there was cheering. And, you know, it was... It's, 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 and it's, it's a great... No, listen, I noticed it. I noticed it all weekend long. And I was saying, my God, why don't they stop this? It's just mortifying to listen to them. Yes, Mr. Yeah. All right. Okay. Mind yourself. Thanks, David. As always, uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Lots of texts on different topics of conversation. Um, just staying actually with, uh, from, um, you know, the, the whole issue regarding, regarding bonuses. Um, just one final one on this. A few questions regarding the discussion on giving a pandemic bonus. One, how many retail workers had the heartache of holding the hands of those poor people dying from a virus that we knew nothing about? Two, how many retail workers had to then go out and give the heartbreaking news of their loved ones passing to families who couldn't be with their loved ones and reassure them that they didn't die alone, that they held their hand? Three, how many retail workers had to wear hazmat suits, masks, goggles, face visors in searing heat with no proper ventilation in the emergency department? Four, how many retail workers had to stand in the rain and doff their clothing before they could come into their homes after 14 hours of work and sometimes longer for fear that they'd bring the virus into their homes? Five, how many retail workers went home with their faces red with welts from PPE only to go back the next day and do it all over again? Don't anyone ever compare what they did during the pandemic to what our healthcare workers did for our country. Remember the clapping? Remember when they kept our health services going? Eating bread, people, is soon forgotten. And that's from an angry mother of two of two emergency department nurses. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Okay, just 60 seconds then I'll talk to Valerie. Um, one of the reasons why um, perhaps taxi drivers are taking only cash is because they're more likely to get a tip with cash than a credit card. Another one, my 19-year-old daughter goes to town most weekends and said every weekend cabs won't take cards, it's cash only. I wouldn't use a taxi for love nor money. They need to get with the time and accept credit and debit cards. Cards or cash should be law. The taxi drivers um, have it too easy for a tax dodge. Well, let's not generalize, shall we? You'd know what it'd be all about if there was no taxis on the road. And God knows the amount of taxis that have helped in an emergency situation. Um, women take the time to bring lipstick, makeup out with them in their bag. Men take the time to bring protection out with them in their wallets. Huh? Why is it such a problem to make sure you bring 20 euro with you in your wallet for your feckin' taxi? It's the only cash you'll need the whole night out. Fail to prepare people, prepare to fail, and all that. Bob says refusing to take a card is a personal decision by drivers, but ask drivers how often they've taken a person home and found that the card won't work because there's no money in the account. And the nightmare that follows that, at night, drivers take precautions like these to protect themselves from situations like that. 
Okay, I understand what you're saying. Interestingly enough, outside Reardon's, where all the taxis park up, it's actually a cycle lane, uh, which they completely disregard. When told this, they think they own the road. Uh, there are other shops that don't accept cash, not just uh, that don't accept cash. Some some do take cash, some take credit cards. The Vodafone shops don't accept accept cash. I think as long as cash is printed and minted, it should be leg- it should be illegal for anyone not to take it says Anthony. And there's reams more like that. I'm a taxi driver. Just want to make a couple of points. One, if a light is lit on the roof sign, he has to take you to a maximum of 28 kilometers. My only problem with this is if you have a booking for, say, in 20 minutes, you can only take shorter fares. Uh, Every taxi on free now has a credit card system or is offered one free and most have them. Uh, as Bobby Lynn said, it's the fare and the time it takes to complete. If it's busy, it can take a few minutes to sort out. And some places don't have internet coverage when you get to the destination. Uh, might not have phone signal, they need that. We only get an hour of busyness at night now, so spending time on card payments can eat into your earnings. That's my experience, but I've never refused a card payment, but had difficulty completing the transaction due to some of the reasons I've outlined. All right. Um, of course, there's two sides to every discussion. There really is. And there's two sides to the story that I dealt with earlier on with um, with regards to uh, Kieran and his little baby with that small little um, cocoon uh, cot. Well, actually, it wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't actually a cot in itself. Um, but a, a real worry for them because um, the cord of it uh, got wrapped around the little baby's neck. So that prompted texts and calls as well from earlier this morning. Valerie, good morning. Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm good. And you and you are right when you say, thank God the little baby is okay. Oh, yeah, that's the, the first thing. Thank God she's okay. Like, and and uh, it turned out well in the end. But um, I suppose uh, my, what prompted me to ring is that these things, these nest wedges or cocoons, whatever you call them, are marketed as safe. And safe sleep practice is on a firm surface with no loose sheets, no loose coverings, with nothing else in the cot, especially for a child under the age of 12 months. How how would you describe this? How would you describe this cocoon and the reasons for it? Well, I've never used one personally myself, but from what I gather, it's like a a foam and the, the baby sinks into it and sometimes they're straps. Uh, attached to keep them in that position, but I, I would, I suppose, I, I, I'm not judging anyone, but I suppose I would strongly suggest people follow the safe sleep practice and do not put anything additional to, into a child's cot, especially if they're under the age of twelve months. Mm, keep mm. it simple. No, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. No matter what way the marketers, I would a not baby, a baby way. nest. They're called. Yes. That, you know. Yeah. They come in different. They're, they're called wedges, cocoons, nests. But they, they, I suppose, from what I can see, their, their main purpose is keeping in a position. And look, as babies grow older, they will move. That is natural. But I was strongly urged to follow the safe sleep practice and do not add anything under into a child. But, but are, to, to be fair to the manufacturers, are, are maybe they're not designed for overnight. Somebody says here, they're snooze pods. They're not meant for overnight sleeping. They're for during the day when you're actually physically watching the baby. Because they have cords on them, you see. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I just, I'd err on the side of caution. Don't, don't put anything in. Just keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Don't use them. 
that'll be my advice. Mm. You know, I I I I refrain from using them because it, look, thankfully, I'm so glad this little girl she's okay. But God forbid, it, Neil, if you but know, so where do they think? Where, where do if they don't believe the parents who woke up and the mother said that the cord was around the baby's neck twice? How do they think the baby got the marks around the neck that I see? Lines around the baby's neck? I don't know. I, 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 really, I, I couldn't answer that, I suppose. They, they don't maybe want to see their, their product as being um, shown to be... Um, dangerous. Um, dangerous. So they're going to maybe try and okay. kind of okay. get out of it. But I suppose that would be my advice. And again, I'm so glad the child is okay. Well said. Okay, thank you for that. Much obliged. Right. Thank you, Valerie. As these products are very clearly condemned by the HSC and the Lullaby Trust. An empty cot is the safest cot. These nests are advertised for day naps where parents are awake. And for the first six months minimum, babies should nap and night sleep in their parents' presence. There's a lot of info to be found on the Lullaby Trust. Morning, Neil, from a legal standpoint, they don't have a leg to stand on. They're clearly marked as being for supervised sleeping or napping. Unfortunately, the parents are the ones in the case that are accountable for what actually happened. Just to clarify, I also have two children myself and another on the way. No, I mean, I just looked at the different photographs when it was sent to me and I looked, you know, the way you can see the photographs of the things you're buying on Amazon and they've got sometimes half a dozen photographs and more. And they're, 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 the sides of the nests are, are filled with a uh, silicon uh, ball and then they've raised edges around them to ensure that the safety in the, in the child's sleep. So, Manufacturers mention child's sleep, but the one photograph that kind of, I'm not going to say alarmed me, but I just wondered as to why it was there, was the cord is on the top of it. You know, you would think if there was cords to adjust the size of the cocoon for the baby to nap in, that it would be underneath, you know, which be out of sight is one thing, but certainly out of reach would be another. Would it not be better to design it where the cords were underneath the nest as opposed to on top of the lip, which you'd reach out and catch perhaps? That, that's all I was suggesting, nothing more than that. But anyway, now you're aware of it and you can Google it for yourself. Text 0868104106. So we're talking about people wanting to run away and join the circus and become a clown and maybe that's your thing. Anybody interested in a career change? We were also talking uh, on Friday of, uh, you know, the fact that it was great to have events back and to great to see festivals happening. And there was one in particular down in Glownton and it was on Saturday. One of your social, socially distancing music festivals was called Upstart. It was one of those ones that was sponsored by Cork County Council. They, you know, people got different grants to put things on like that. And there was a whole load of different musicians and artists were down in Glownton Village. Beautiful, beautiful village. It must have been buzzing there at the weekend. But anyway, to get a sense of the audio and the occasion, Seamus Whelan went partying on Saturday to Glanmar, down to Glownton Way. Have a listen to this. <laughs> The village is buzzing here this morning. We've had three Holy Communions already, and the, just the noise and excitement because from even from the sound check, it's absolutely buzzing with energy. We've got a great lineup actually, so it's 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 very much guitar heavy, guitar based. So if you're into that kind of music today, it's just going to be a treat. Um, like most of us, we haven't been to live music for 18 months, you know, and it's something, you know, the, the first few months you're kind of okay, but now this morning, just standing here listening to the sound check, it was amazing. We were just 
Oh, like, and that's what we're after. We're after the crowd who've missed that. And again, this is the beauty of outdoor. Everybody can do it and just feel that they're all safe and they're all here together enjoying this event. You're drumming with who today? Watch the Twilight and the Elders. Yeah, they're a yeah. big, big headline act for a festival like this. Yeah, yeah, we were in Trabulgan last uh, last weekend. We did a Texas Village. We closed the Sunday night there, and um, we we're actually supposed to play Electric Picnic this weekend but with all the up and downs and the, the uncertainty actually it shut down it didn't go ahead so we're on in the middle of the day now today we're not we're not doing we're doing a middle of the, the afternoon slot which is great because we all get to relax and watch other bands then when you kind of hit the stage did, did you feel a bit rusty after Absolutely, all those yeah, days yeah. Um, was like, like, like uh, any athlete there's this guy uh, sports fitness we're the same because it's a very energetic band so we need a, a fitness as well for the performance and uh, definitely the first few songs we were like catching our breath and but like you know the energy was there just that you know normally it's just uh, second nature to us but the first few songs right we had to kind of push ourselves and get a gasp of water just to kind of get going like, but yeah it's great it's brilliant to be doing it all again like I'm here with Fume K. My own name's Anastasia. Sertia. Owen. And you were the UCC Battle of Band winners in 2020. Indeed, yeah. We were supposed to geek the night that yeah, was locked in. Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be our biggest as well. Yeah. We had a load lined up. And what does it feel like to be back now after 500 and odd days? <laughs> oh, whoa, I didn't put it like that. Last week was our first practice together yeah. and every like we thought it was going to be a shambles but everything fell into place so quickly. Yeah, I was like riding a bike. Yeah. yeah. Never forget. It was like we'd never stopped. So yeah. you weren't rusty like uh, Punches Pilot and the... <laughs> No. Actually, there's less of us like we were raring yeah. to the GP, the judge of that. Yeah, yeah, like, sure, you never know now when you go off and play. While well, the music is very uh, eclectic in a way, it's, we feel there's something for everyone. We want everyone to come down and enjoy it and bring people down from the city, maybe make a day of it out of Cork City. And you've got, uh, we're 16 plus, um, but we're hoping to have all ages. We've had, we've had neighbours in their 70s who are coming. So yeah. technically, it's the lack by the leaves, isn't it? That's what we're hoping for. It's exactly the feel we're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. But further so, down the river. <laughs> further down the river, yeah. Yeah. But exactly that. We're, we're sponsored by Cork County Council. That's why we're able to do tickets for a tenner each. And it's, it's brilliant. It means that you can have your day out, train down, and a lot of people aren't used to getting the train. It introduces them to you know, things that are available on your doorstep. It's kind of low, it's a low-maintenance festival, you could say. You can go home and sleep in your own bed afterwards. It's, just, it's really nice being around people again, especially after like so long just being inside. Yeah, and I feel like the creative industry, like art, music, everything, hasn't yeah. had the same attention as like other events and stuff, so it's great. Yeah, yeah we can't absolutely. wait to be back. Yeah. And who are you looking forward to? Oh, um, thank you, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I love the name. I love everything. We've only kind of just heard about them, but it's great that they're all like local bands. Yeah. Like, it's great to support them. So yeah, we're so excited. You look as if you've come prepared anyway. Oh yeah, most definitely, yeah. <laughs> Did you miss this? Well, we improvised. We had our own, my own concerts at home because when, I was, when things were legal, because I was sitting at home at the kitchen table and I had a ticket for the killers to go to Malahide. And I snapped at my son, which was out of context for me. And he said, ma'am, why did you do that? And I said, because I should be on my way to Malahide. And I said, you know what? We're going to have our own concert because I live in a farm and plenty room and open sheds. So within 10 minutes, there was two bands decided they'd play for free. 
And where was this? I can't. Secret location. We're showcasing new talent coming out of Cork. And there's such fantastic uh, talent, great musicians. You know, um, it's great to see some decent indie music coming out of Cork again, you know. Um, so delighted, yeah. Delighted. And it's great to see the country beginning to get up and running again and, you know, getting back and getting out there. So let's do more of it. Did you miss the ball? Totally. Yeah, we really absolutely. Very badly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Yeah. We like dancing. And who are you looking music? Who are you looking forward to? Conscious Punch fans and the nail, nail drivers. <laughs> so a bit of all that stuff lip up fatty I love it great name for a band incidentally Pontius Pilot and the Nail Drivers whoever came up with that one anyways great to have live music back and gigs and what have you bring it on okay 250 euro vouchers every day this week Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and on Friday a 1000 euro voucher they really are giving it away that's courtesy of ourselves and Easy Living Interiors Google them yourself easyliving.interiors.ie uh, so 250 a day and a grand on Friday who's hiding behind the sofa Right. He runs first into the sitting room, then around the back of the sofa. Hollywood is throwing action stories at me. I have even Arnold Schwarzenegger, believe it or not, Bruce Willis calling up my agent saying, what do I have to do? Uh, who is that? They'll get harder as the week goes on, believe me. So that's an easy one for you. Call at 10, one 850 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851 Red FM. All right, just very, very quickly, without wanting to mortify people, it'll get harder as the week goes on. Fiona! Hi, how are you? Have a listen to this. He runs into the room, runs across the sitting room, finds the sofa, kneels down, hides behind it. Hollywood is throwing action stories at me. I have even Arnold Schwarzenegger, believe it or not, Bruce Willis calling up my agent saying, what do I have to do? Who is that, my friend? It certainly is. Not a bother to you all day long. So for you, a 250 euro voucher to spend on whatever you wish at Easy Living Interiors. Where are you calling from? Um, Newtown in Bandon. Okay, did you get the rain or the showers there yet? Um, we've loads of rain this morning, but um, it's out now at the moment. Yeah, because you got it and yet I avoided it. So maybe it might be good for the rest of the day. Maybe you took my rain from me. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Here's 250 <laughs> euro for uh, for prize and a consequence of it. Listen, enjoy and 250 euro. Right, thank you. Enjoy it. Get yourself whatever you wish. Easy living interior. So 250 a day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and then a thousand on Friday. But I ain't finished just yet. Of course, we got the new Bond movie out on Thursday and we have double tickets to give away right across the day today uh, for No Time to Die. You will go to the five o'clock screening. It's showing at the Gate Cinemas, Cork, Mallow and Middleton. We're also throwing in popcorn and Coca-Cola. So your opportunity to uh, go to the 25th Bond movie. Um, here's your cue to call. Get dialing for it. You know the drill. Pick up the phone. one 850 the name's Bond. James Bond. They're saying, actually, that he uh, is going to just um, pack everything up in New York and, and leave and retire, and that he wants to retire to Ireland. Why wouldn't he? An awful lot of Hollywood superstars love it. And he's from Liverpool originally, so he wouldn't be too far from... From Liverpool, so maybe West Cork could be the place that Daniel Craig might want to retire to in Ireland. But I read it the weekend on the Independent.ie. I mean, this is subjective, really. It's it's down to the person who's writing the article. But they reviewed every single 007 movie ever 
from the best to the worst. Now, they don't include the latest one, No Time to Die. So they looked at the other 24 and they rated them as from the worst to the best. Just if you're a Bond fan, you might want to um, just either agree or disagree with Die Another Day being the worst ever Bond movie ever made back in 2002. They don't even know, they, they don't even know where to start with regards to that one. Um, whether it was, uh, surfing on icebergs or Madonna as a fencing instructor. Uh, so Die Another Day, the worst ever. And the best they say ever made, the best Bond movie from Russia with Love with Sean Connery back in 1963. So actually the top Three or four, if you like, were Russia with Love, number one, Goldfinger from 1964, number two, On Her Majesty's Secret Service from 1967, The Living Daylights, fourth, and Live and Let Die, fifth, and then all of the others. I was desperate to find out where my favorite Bond movie of them all was Casino Royale. I just thought it was fantastic. It came in the top ten at number eight. So the best ever was, as I say, from Russia with Love and the Worst, Die Another Day. I wonder how number 25 will feature when it's launched and released on Thursday. The Voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM.